Hello, sisters and brothers. Hello. Nieces and nephews. Aunts and uncles. What else is there? Cousins. Once removed. Once, twice, three times removed. All fam of the Cohen variety. Because it's time for yet another Cohen Brothers Brothers. We're the eponymous titular brothers. I'm Michael Slame. I'm Abe Epperson. And today, coming off our hot, hot, mega hit episode about No Country (laughs) for Old Men. You know, it's our current number one, uh, I believe it's our most listened to podcast episode thus far. Really? Yeah, it is. Probably just because we're so great and not because everyone loves No Country for Old Men, right? That's Uh, definitely why. We were just on. Um, But I hope we stay on a hot streak. Unlike the Cohen brothers did box office wise, but <laughs> content wise, I think they're still hitting it out of the park with the follow up to No Country, Burn After Reading. 2008, uh, I would like to suggest what the fuck? About what? Burn After Reading? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck, though? Yeah. yeah. Are you J.K. Simmons right now? Is that. I- I'm, I've, I'm everyone in this movie right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. It reminds me of the wire scene where the only line is fuck. Fuck. Uh, When Malkovich. Also, yeah, I guess we're diving in. I mean, we'll recap our our format, but Malkovich's ability to reinvent with different artistic undershading the sentiment, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? The Russians? Why the the fuck? fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Why the fuck? Who the fuck? It's kind of... That's why this one is a sleeper to me, because I know it it did actually get... I think it made three times its uh, its budget in box office. Oh, oh, So it wasn't... But I'm just talking versus no country. It wasn't like a sleeper. It wasn't, but it wasn't like... It it wasn't sweeping the Oscars and shit. Right, right. No country was just a special case. That's all. No one, no one came out of the woods and was like, "This movie's bad." Mm-hmm. No one came out of the woods and said, "This movie needs to be remembered for history." But here, right now, on Cohen Brothers Brothers, I'm gonna come out and say this is one of their best films because of the seamlessness and the message. Rarely do we in this, uh, in these conversations, talk about like. The cone, we, we, we're usually removed. We're usually looking at it from a standpoint of like, look at the artistic um, quality of this. Look Except at how for certain sentimental favorites, like s- I couldn't stay are. totally separate from Hudsucker. You yeah. couldn't stay totally separate totally. from Lebowski. Yeah. Totally. But like Fargo, but, I can sit back and be like, hmm, this is objectively well crafted because of these reasons. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes the Coen brothers the Coen brothers. But this one actually has a message that I would actually like stand behind. Uh, and that message is what the fuck? Well, it's, it's like also perfectly this- apt for our time now, like 2019, mm-hmm. despite it coming out in 2008. Like it, it, it's it's prescient. Is I guess the word. It's Prussian and it's prescient and it's aggression and it's amazing. Um, it's it's not yeah. very Prussian, but I am just gonna hotwire your insight there because it was gonna lead to me saying something that I should say for uh, pedagogy. So stop breaking format because that was no country and now we're back uh, on rails. We here at the CBB. Not that CBB, the much more popular podcast, but this CBB. Um, Analyze the work of the Coen brothers in chronological order through three spectra diegesis. 
pedagogy, and howdy do that. So we're going to dive right in first with diegesis in case you haven't seen it or just if you enjoy. I mean, we ran a poll on Twitter. People love the recaps. It's boring to me because I just watched the movie and I was worried I was boring the audience, but we're not. They like recaps. Helps them get perspective, know what we're talking about. So diegesis is where we basically go through what the movie's about and what happened and a little bit of analysis because that's inevitable. But pedagogy is where we really dig into the underlying philosophy of the film. So as yes, far as sir. diegesis goes, yes, sir, a film, <laughs> sir, right you are. Uh, right you are. Abe already uh, called it out, 2008, it's right after No Country, stars George Clooney, Francis McDormand, Brad Pitt, John Malkovich, Richard Jenkins, now thankfully a household name, but at this time kind of one of the those guys you would see. Um, mm-hmm. But always deserved the credit and is now getting it, which I'm happy about. <laughs> I don't think there's I don't think there's a market for people who are like Richard Jenkins has not gotten what his just deserves. Really? <laughs> you know, like I think you just I, dug I, yourself I a mean, Twitter hole. I think a lot camp. of people are going to respond. You're wrong, Abe. Really? Wrong. I just don't think that like he will forever be a that guy. But he is. No. So good, but people know his that name. That it's it is sad. Shape like, of Water, that camp. The Visitors. Uh, dead. Did I mean, you mention Six Feet Tilda Under? Swinton? The Dead Dad and Six Feet Under. Hey, I ain't done. And I was gonna say I'll say the same about uh the next guy, J.K. Simmons. Used to be known only to film buffs and is now rightfully known to a broader audience. Same as about Tilda. Yep, and Tilda Swinton as well. Uh, Tilda. She kills it in this movie. Holy fuck. Tilda killed a scene. Everyone does. Everyone Did, uh, does. But I just have to. Yeah, actually, MVP. I would say that uh, we're technically in diegesis, so this is fine to say. <laughs> we're technically in diegesis, so this is fine to say. This. Did you have the same thought? Coen Brothers writing is good. They're good at it. Coen Brothers hire good actors and cast good people. But. Mm. This is one of the largest acts of faith in the cast, I think, that I've seen from the Coen brothers or discrepancy from the scripted lines versus the meaning. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of faith in your own directorial skill, but also the cast you've assembled to write. The scene goes, yeah, they took it to the Russians. I'm going to read it without affect because that'll make this point clear. Yes, they took it to the Russians. The Russians? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah, the Russians, I guess. Why? Why the fuck? I don't know. The Russians? And like, yes, Cohen's used that a lot, that repetition and that funny shit. Right. But this one really hammers home how like, if Brad Pitt didn't slay, it wouldn't be funny. They are they like right. flew without a net because a lot of the jokes are not funny as written in a traditional sense. If Malkovich didn't destroy, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> if Tilda yeah, was not bringing they're definitely, it, yeah. they're arrogant here, and they succeeded. So yeah, this Coen movie, Brothers, baby, <laughs> because No Country was also very simple, broad, monolithic, epic, right. mythic, powerful. This one felt like someone who's like. Oh, you love that really big, heavy concerto that well, or it's, I'm sure it's not a concerto, but I don't know music well enough. You know, you sure. liked Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It went dun, 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 dun. You liked that. Yeah. It was monolithic. Well, when now we're going to play. Swells. Yeah. Now we're going to play like our flute concerto that goes that like flight of the bumblebee. Like we're going to show you us fucking showing off and doing flips and shit. Yeah. And 
that's the power of the Coen brothers because them flexing is another way of saying that they're empowering actors to just do their parts. Their best like, work, yeah. <laughs> they're casting, that's, to me, after, like, I've watched the Coen brothers throughout the years, and, at, like, now that we've done most of this show, re-watching it, insurmountable is the word I would use for uh, how, how they cut a little hole in casting and they said we're gonna cast these people we're gonna write for these people and we're gonna succeed and they did it with a plum they're they're fucking mm -hmm. their greatest superpowers casting in fact look uh for burn after reading every character that is the main characters brad pitt jenkins malkovich dormant uh clooney they were all written for those people they're writing it as they were uh, uh, shooting No Country. Nice. The only question mark was Tilda Swinton. They didn't know who would be that role. I see. And then they found her, obviously, because, you know, like probably casting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, man, what a fucking just yeah. brilliant stroke of casting. And, Definitely. Uh, Inclu all the uh, way Alan down Chenoweth, to who is their casting director, deserves all is the credit. A yeah. Absolute revelation. Yeah. Um, and since you're bringing some BTA behind the scenes info, I haven't done this since our very first episode, uh, Saving Private Ryan. But did you know? And it's crazy because, as you said, they wrote it while filming No Country. So I just don't understand how they got it all done. But they actually wrote four alternate versions of this script before landing on Burn After Reading. Um, so here's wow. some alternate titles. <laughs> that were in the mix uh it used to be there was one version that was just it was a short it was a festival short where a friend says hi and the other friend just slaps them and walks away that was called spurn <laughs> after greeting um they did a version where someone works at like a deep fryer that was turn after breading and and then <laughs> then bouncing off that they were gonna do this weird psychosexual you know like gasper no thing where the guy at the bakery always comes in the fry batter that was sperm after kneading and then they just like they <laughs> they simplified it they brought it back made it like a mother daughter story burp after feeding and i'm glad that they landed on uh, burn after reading because it's by far the yeah, least I'm, I'm stupid glad they did that. there <laughs> is a film there is a film actually uh that is considered quote-unquote high art uh mm -hmm. in the italian neorealism period i think I want to say I don't know my uh, Where MFA comes is in failing bread. me. There's a there's a film I think two th in the two thousands called Comedy of God, where uh, a like a bread maker. <laughs> I think it's a bread maker. He like he invites women over like young women, and he like just. He, he watches them bathe and then he uses the bath water to bake bread and he's known right. to be like the best I've bread maker. I've seen that trailer now that you mention it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just funny to me that uh, as a bit, we're just talking about like joke, like things <laughs> that, things that high art would do and then at the same time are fucking stupid. They're totally tropes that exist in the real world. But also because uh, we're always up our own ass. That's the point of filmmaking is we're up our own ass. <laughs> definitely. Puts me in mind of my favorite, I think the standout joke from Derek Comedy, beloved sketch troupe, uh, mm -hmm. home base of childish Gambino. 
they their movie Mystery Team best bit is that guy who ran out was he fucking the bread? What? Yeah, that guy comes in here sometimes he fucks the bread. And then later he's fucking the bread and they're asking the clerk stuff and he's like, "Hey, hey, you stop fucking the bread. I told you stop <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. the bread." <laughs> yeah. It's 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 great. And that's that's perfectly apt for this uh, movie because burn after reading the <laughs> idea of the back. title is just like you watch it and then just fucking fuck it. Just it like- is funny. It's funny that the title could it, be modernized as like delete this file or delete this film or right. whatever, or forget this movie. It's like fuck this movie is the title. Fuck almost. this movie <laughs> yeah. and at the same time still be in a well torn trope of uh, spy movies. That's something that spies say. And I think yeah. the main thing I want to track throughout, well, there's several threads I want to track, but in Diegesis, I think one of the things that makes sense to track is this comedy functions on the plane that Simpsons, I think, most often functions at, which is identify the trope, make sure every a trope that everyone knows, present the trope, undermine the trope, undercut it or reverse it in such a way where you're like, yeah, in movies like that and Simpsons, this is their bread and butter is like a scene where you're like, this scene is like an action movie scene. And in every action movie scene where this happens, this would happen. But instead, in The Simpsons, Mole Man gets crushed by a hutch of ceramic dolls or whatever. Um, This is that with spy movies. This is how can we make a spy movie that functions as a spy movie, and yet at every turn, if you think about it, has nothing to do with spies. No spy shit happens. No one ever learns anything or knows why anything happened. Nothing ever connects. No case is resolved. What's going on? What the fuck? What the fuck? Hour 35, one of their shortest films, too. And I just think, like I said, Fly to the Bumblebee. In this hour 35, they're getting... They're just getting shit done, you guys. <laughs> uh, by the way, did you read the... Uh, I I uh, found on the internet, I think it's an IMDb trivia thing, uh, Tilda Swinton modeled her character's hairdo after Edna uh, Krabappel from oh, The Simpsons. And was she... Does that mean the costume or MUA, makeup artist, makeup and hair person... Yeah. Ma- made that choice or was she part of that choice i, I guess think she was you. part of that choice Interesting. uh it's definitely picture perfect if you l- yeah. pull up a photo and look at the two you're like yep uh but it's also it it dives i mean i don't want to get too far into the uh you know like symbolism of it all because we're we should still tell Save the tale of the, shit yeah yeah but like it's it, this is the kind of informed decision that they're the Cohn brothers are going to be like, you know what, go with it. You know, even if it wasn't their idea, mm-hmm. uh, this is the kind of shit where it's like it's pure filmmaking in that it's filmmaking is done at a table. It's not done in front of a camera when you really want to make a good film. Mm-hmm. It's done in the same way that, you know, you and I have a conversation or w- when we write. It's like we're sitting down and we're just talking about like it's like that. It's, it's like that. Yeah, it's, it's done like in that. front of the camera too. let a, let us not cheapen the craft of acting just because we right. prefer behind the camera shit. It's done and in both that, places. <laughs> I think that the Coen Brothers superpower once again and not only is casting, but it's like. 
having that conversation so well it's that people are yeah and, uh, and yeah that people are encouraged to offer like you know what i was watching the simpsons what about this and they're like you know what fucking run with it that's how i like to think but that they work there are but directors who, who would say fucking run with it because they just like to be inclusive and exciting like i can see michael bay, bay saying fucking run with it the thing is, they're Just also like, judicious. They're also yeah. also precious and judicious. They're gonna say "fucking run with it" only if they've vetted it in their minds and it works and it's a good yeah, idea. Exactly. But in the way that I think early Pixar had this strength, and they off if you dig into the behind the scenes of Pixar, you'll find out that John Lasseter is a creep. But also that they had, they really did have what many businesses claim to have, but few have. Uh, a humility that allowed them to be like, oh, the janitor came up with a better idea for act two of the movie we're working on. Let's do uh-huh. it. Everyone in the room thinks it's a better idea than what we have. Good job, janitor. You know, like anyone yeah. could, they they will just want the best thing and they want this quality to float to the top. Right. Um, and if, yeah. and if, if anyone doesn't know the, um, when you walked into Pixar for many, many years, I don't know if it's still there, but when you walked into Pixar animation on the ground, as soon as you walk in is a, on the floor, uh, in marble idea is King. Yeah. Uh, and that is, I think the best Testament to studios and, um, it's the, it's the idea of storytelling. Yeah. Ideas king. You as the storyteller don't matter. But clearly, what Joel and Ethan also are judicious because we heard about in our uh, 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 raising Arizona episode how much Nick Cage would throw out ideas, and there were some that were like, okay, oh, okay. but they were very judiciously like, no, no, yeah. no, and not I think that, that was no. a, <laughs> that was probably a disconnect because they were like, ah, we're doing Looney Tunes. And, yeah. and he was like, what if like this happened? And it was just like, uh, yeah, uh, I like that. But, uh, but not, lo- no, we weren't thinking animals. It's not Looney Tunes in that way. Do you yeah. understand the idea of your character? Yeah. Like everything that you do is coming from one place. And, um, the that is how they make catalog. movies. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that that conversation ever happened. I'm not saying that Nicolas Cage was, in error or anything or the Cone brothers were, but I'm just saying that that seems to be the narrative based on how actors talk about the Cone brothers, that they are politely asked to do it the way that they rehearsed only because the thing, the idea behind the mo- like the motivation for the characters, the, the wants, the needs, they come from a very specific place. Yeah. And if you go anywhere else, it is not perfect, so please do it perfect. <laughs> uh, and I guess that's that. That's what vision is, right? That's what I mean. Is they, they're they're. You can tell that they strike a very rare balance of being inclusive and open to new ideas, and yet they will. They know their boundaries. They do have a vision, and if the idea you suggested doesn't fit with it, they will politely but firmly not do it <laughs> yeah exactly. and i think both are important skills uh, i think it's a navigation definitely. all right frame one frame one. Oh jesus slow zoom in from outer space while credits are decrypted just going like it's a spy movie get it this is what you see in spy movies so Spe- specifically uh going from russian characters to english yes uh, alphabet yeah 
Yes. And uh, yeah, Which but is perfect because it doesn't matter. <laughs> of course, it doesn't matter. The Russians and don't doesn't matter. translate directly. Like, I'm sure the translation's not accurate. It's just random characters. But it ticks in your head. You go, okay, spy. spy yeah, exactly. Baby. We're going to Langley. Okay, got it. Spies. <laughs> exactly. Um, so to speed us through a bit of the stuff that's like just set up, uh, Malkovich plays a guy named uh, Ozzy Cox. <laughs> and Osborne he, Cox. Osborne yeah. Cox. People call him Ozzy. Well, Tilda Ozzie. does. He gets fired from his job as a mid-level. This is important. He's not very important. A mid-level yeah. CIA analyst in Langley, Virginia, because he is developed. Isn't he like Latvia or something like that? Like he, he has he's on like the Balkans a, desk. The yeah yeah. So Which, he's like a small desk. He's like a higher management of a small country. Who, like everything analy- is mediocre. He analyzes information that comes in from the Balkans. To Mm -hmm. determine whether there are any active threats to our national security from the Balkans. The Balkans is a relatively stable place, so he has a boring, basic job at the CIA, it would seem. But you get the feeling that he's actually very good about the job, or at least in the the firing sequence. He says, but I'm Um, a great fucking analyst, and no one says you're not. They all say, yeah, that's not the reason. Yeah, he also is aware enough like he's he's intelligent enough to be aware of what the situation is like so he he understands the the moving and shaking of like his job and the cia and just so like he is he is an analyst he's competent yes yeah and uh yeah he's also in a midlife crisis where he's getting fired and he's like fuck all y'all well, I think you know? the, I think the firing, yeah, fuels midlife crisis. They have said he's his sure. drinking problem has gotten worse and worse, and they gotta My fire him because problem? of that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, his very first line, possibly the first line in the movie, or at least the first line of consequence, which, as you so ap- I like aptly pointed out, completely encapsulates the film's vibe. Palmer, sir, with all due respect. What the fuck? <laughs> and why yeah, the exactly. fuck is Olsen here? And then Olsen goes. You know, we're very sorry. We're letting you go. It's your drinking problem. And he goes, this is an assault. My drinking problem? Fuck you, Peck. You're Mormon. Next to you, we all have a drinking problem. Whose ass didn't I kiss? Because let's be honest, this is a crucifixion. And then what I love is like this. It's already like we're laughing because we remember how fucking funny it is. It's not that funny scripted. But the way he punctuates each syllable of crucifixion by doing the Jesus pose is funny. It's all the performance. It's it's really funny. Yeah. 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 So he gets fired. (laughs) He comes home. We find out his wife is Tilda Swinton, who's a real ball buster, and uh, chews him out for not picking up Jesus for a party that night. Do, yeah, yeah, I know I'm going at a clip, but interrupt me whenever you want. I'm just no, no, no. And he plot. actually does have a drinking problem. Like, yeah, he, he, very severe. I mean, yes. it, we may be peering into a situation where it's like uh, you're down in the dumpies. So well, probably like, made his drinking, drinking problem lot, worse. Yeah, because <laughs> there is a shot of him at some point later where he's just passed out, and like in his hand is like the vodka, you know, tonic that he had or whatever. Right. But we don't know if it's. Like it's clearly people know, so that probably is an issue. Uh, but I think it comes from this existential like angst of I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not satisfied. Uh, my wife fucking hates my friends. Uh, I don't like my friends. Every I am 
he is also when he is introduced to in the next scene when he's introduced in uh, to George Clooney. George Clooney is uh, also vapid. Well, they know each he, other because he says I fucking hate him before we get yeah. to the party. So yeah, he's right, like a right. loose work. He also works at the CIA State Department. Yeah, yeah, but like he uh, Clooney is confident and stupid. Uh, Malkovich is confident and insecure. And, uh, and I think that yeah. fuel, he is very smart. He, he's smarter than everyone in this film with the exception of probably to two other analysts, except for the fact like that he's David not rash and JK Simmons who are like Palmer his, his Smith British and friend who's like, I am a competent spy. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, just like, what, what, what's going on? We don't know, sir. But uh, also just you know, as a recovering alcoholic myself, I must say he's smart in the not smart way that so many smart people are where he's, smart and he thinks being smart makes it so that he can't fuck up so he's like actually right. making terrible decisions and his life only goes downhill but he's like uh i'm smarter than everyone so when they point out correctly that i should get a handle on my drinking problem i go fuck you i quit you'll see someday that i'm smarter than all of you and it's right. like that's profoundly dumb in its own way too oh yeah yeah, yeah. So, so there's like an inner Virginia, you know, Langley circle that people know people. And there's gossip and, and shit. Upper, and they all and know And there's gossip and shit. Yeah. And so to set the scene, we kind of have um, George Clooney is married. Uh, John Malkovich is married. But uh, George Clooney is fucking Tilda Swinton. Uh, John Malkovich's John Malkovich. wife, yes. And, yeah, exactly. So that's like kind of that inner circle. I think it's important to point out Ozzy doesn't tell Tilda he quit his job because she's so yelling at him about the cheese that he forgot to pick up. Um, yeah. So she doesn't know yet. That's just important plot-wise. But the thing I want to highlight is I, as I say this, I can feel people coming at me later when the episode drops about Oh Brother and the brilliance that is Everett McGill. Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, but they're the Warvy girls. Oh, because she remarried. That's right. Anyway, yeah. back to this movie. Uh, and Intolerable Cruelty, but across all three, I think this movie chooses to be funny less often. Oh, now I'm really stepping in it. I think this movie <laughs> is as funny as The Big Lebowski in the scenes where it's trying to be funny. Yeah. And I think people I, I will disagree with that, but I think I'm right. And I yeah. Speaking I think of you're right. Speaking of everyone bringing it, uh Everett McGill is couched in this mythical context of Oh Brother which is still gets me in the feels more. So like sure, it's a harder part. And the it's dude is cohesive. the dude like and the dude the, is the dude, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it, it it's so you're 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 absolutely right because it, it it like signals into these like archetypes of characters that really resonate. This one doesn't, right. but it's still so very good. Right, and and I would say that Clooney's performance definitely tops his, his intolerable so cruelty much... one and goes toe oh, to toe yeah. with his oh brother one. So uh, in this Clooney, scene, yeah, Clooney has two red herrings, which I love. Mm -hmm. I fucking love that in a movie where it's called Burn After Eating and the titular line is more or less the should fuck be is what going the fuck. on. Yeah. yeah, the resonant line. Uh, George Clooney's character has two affectations. He has many affectations, but like two of them that never pay off, but are 
just great like window dressing is he is enamored with flooring. <laughs> Why? Yes. He's like, what's this flooring? Is this for like, like he quality flooring <laughs> it's quality. and and the other is that he has a shellfish uh allergy no no which it's never an allergy pays off it's an allergy you to whatever he him, wants because he coughs all the time because you expect he's like this is it he's gonna cough and this yeah. the scene is now gonna be him no, dying it's an allergy but to nothing it's an allergy to whatever he says at any given time because another thing right. i think that becomes apparent is he is uh lies freely and makes up stories about himself so the thing I wanted to highlight before we move on from the scene is that moment. This time it's cheese. Because, of course, they were talking about cheese, so they smash cut to a cheese plate. And this straight up reminded me of, in the last Avengers movie, the reason people enjoy when Doctor Strange and Iron Man get to talk because they fucking are both pricks in their own way. That's fun. Yeah, they're both sassy this is men. That. So it's Clooney starts. I can't... Uh, I have... Uh, is that a goat cheese? It's a chevra. This is Malkovich. It's a chevra. Yeah. Yes, that is a goat cheese. Because I can't, I have a, a reflux, a lactose reflux. You're <laughs> lactose intolerant or you have acid reflux. They're different things. I know what they are. So you misspoke. <laughs> it's like, so yeah. just good He's, thinking at each other. Which is so good because when I, I just have to, uh, the the quote with uh, Chad is the name of uh, the Brad Pitt character. Of yeah. course it is. He's a Ch Chad. Chad Feldheimer and Osborne <laughs> Cox in their first meeting. Osborne Cox, if you ever carried out the proposed threat, you experienced such a shitstorm of consequences, my friend. Your empty little head would be spinning faster than the wheels of your Schwinn bicycle back there. And Chad's response is, you think that's a Schwinn? Like you're an like, idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's that that it's so perfect with the the goat cheese because it's mm -hmm. like we all think everyone's an idiot and our our criterion for what is intelligence is the things that we know yeah and that is an apt description of what the movie is Absolutely. it's just like we think that intelligence is what we know is if you know the things i learned yeah but what about the things you don't know? Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Clooney, uh, Clooney's wife writes children's books. Uh, he repeatedly steals her thunder at the party. Uh, we'll see that yeah. with Clooney. Clooney is yeah. a user of women. He seduces many women, lies to them easily, and would in a more subtle way but I, that I noticed this time that I think is quite effective. Never, ever once lets a woman finish a complete sentence in his presence. Unless... Oh, except, wow. I didn't notice that. Except in the scene where he's chopping carrots silently while deciding to break up And then he just walks out. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. That is, that is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, so that's frick. terrible, but that's <laughs> what... I did not know that that's... I didn't know that it was true. I definitely, you know, gleaned that, but I yeah, didn't know the first, that, that well, was the first, the thing that tipped me off. I started looking for it, and the one that tips me off is, why wouldn't you just let her finish her sentences? Um, someone asked directly while making eye contact with his wife. I believe her name is Alice, but that might be Tilda's character. I forget. Uh, she goes, what do you do? And she goes, well, I, and he goes, she writes children's books, even though his mouth is full. So it's like a disincentive to interrupt, but he does it anyway. He goes, yeah, she yeah, writes yeah, children's yeah. books. It's ha ha ha, you know, Oliver, the uh, cat that lives in the big rotunda. 
Like he which is, just has to take the treasure away, you know. The, which, by the way, are widely popular to the point of being on like a Today Show kind of thing, like reading to children. Like she is, she's yeah, more successful than he is in certainly. this world. Yeah, JK yeah. She Rowling. basically wrote Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after the party, Clooney and his wife drive back home. He's saying what a prick Malkovich is. Well, but saying Tilda's pretty okay. And we know that that's because he has sex with Tilda regularly. Right. Whereas the wife is like, no, she Tilda's She's a cold, cold stuck-up bitch, which she objectively yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, everyone, everyone is vapid in this movie, except everyone. maybe Clooney's wife, who we don't really get to know. Yeah, yeah, but we get the impression she's perfect, which is the reason he, of course, doesn't value her and ruins the relationship. Yeah. Um, Ozzy and Tilda. Oh, he finally tells her that he quit rather than being fired. She's, of course, pissed off because she's basically only with him because of the security of his job and his money and his accomplishments and shit. She immediately says, how are you going to keep making income? I don't care that you lost your job. How are you going to keep making income? He says he'll be a highly paid consultant in the intelligence industry. And in the meantime... He's going to write a memoir. <laughs> and she literally memoir. I laughs. love how many times they have it. He says his dream, is, he's always dreamed of writing a memoir. Memoir. And she laughs in his face at his She's dream. She's like, who would fucking read that? She says, oh, well, no, that's when it gets stolen later. They steal later, his files. Yeah. And he goes, someone stole my memoir. What? My book, the book I'm writing. Someone took it. Someone stole the memoir. And she goes, I don't understand. Why would anyone think that's worth anything? <laughs> yeah. Which is so true in the sense of like your house. She being is robbed, a cold bitch. Yeah. 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 She's not you supportive know. of her yeah. significant other. She thinks he's a piece of shit. And yeah. he may be, but you know, oh, he there's is. no he empathy is. there. Probably is. Well, I would say what he does to Richard Jenkins is, yeah, he has darkness in him that's pretty. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got some real darkness. He's a fucked up dude. <laughs> Uh, so he goes sailing with his dad, who we get the impression is nearly a vegetable, if not a vegetable. Um, mm-hmm. Basically confides in him. And I hope you're proud of me. If I dad, find this. Basically. It's like those things where it's situationally deeply hilarious. It doesn't make you laugh out loud, but you're like this fucking guy. Yeah. He brings his dad, who's brain dead in a wheelchair, out to his boat to sit there and like quietly confide in him. I'm writing a memoir dad and i think i think it's really gonna shake things up i think it'll be pretty explosive but you know i'm doing it well dad sometimes there's a higher patriotism that calls you and you're like just shut up dude change his colostomy bag and take him back to the home (laughs) right right um so we get ozzy he's arrogant as fuck and he's a prick and he thinks he's gonna write this great memoir um you take a beat tag teaming out well, I wanted to introduce just for the sake of moving things forward, uh, the for for like Big Lebowski, you know, there's the issue of the same name in this movie, a uh, in the CIA, uh, there is a secretary who has the mem- memoirs, <laughs> uh, and she also is uh, a gym. Uh, patron of Hard Bodies. Just a technical correction. She is the secretary of Tilda Swinton's divorce attorney. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Tilda yeah. Swinton so she... takes all the files. She clones Malkovich's hard drive, 
because she wanted his right, bank account right, numbers. Right, 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 right. But the secretary, yeah. incidentally, also has the rough draft of his memoir. Coen Brothers Brothers is brought to you in part by Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com, a really cool outfit that has decided to sponsor the show, and we're very appreciative of that. And they're a sponsor we really think is a good fit, and we think a lot of you guys, if you like this show, you might really love the service. So what Mubi essentially is, is a curated streaming service. Now that means instead of spending 45 minutes flipping through, flipping through, flipping through, skipping all the filler thumbnails, trying to figure out what the heck is that movie I never heard of. These are critically acclaimed films curated by the movie team to guarantee that you have a great movie night. At any given time, movie features 30 films and they literally add a new film every day and remove one every day. So it's more like a prestige streaming service, sort of like a, a, a book club where you actually get guidance and recommendations on great material instead of just having to fend for yourself in our great content wilderness so you know we like it we recommend it right now i'm scrolling through they got uh they got citizen four on there which was a great documentary about the edward snowden document breach they've got films like mug on war edge of the knife let's see what edge of the knife sounds interesting i haven't seen it but it is realized in a language which less than 20 people now speak Edge of the Knife is a singular act of lingual preservation and mythic story of revenge. Well, there you go. See, that's already cool. A revenge thriller uh, written in a language that less than 20 people on Earth speak. So that's the kind of interesting content you're going to be able to find on Mubi.com. And for a limited time, you can show your support for this podcast. Yes, this does equate to money for us. And get yourself a great deal, a free 30-day trial at Mubi by going to Mubi.com slash Brothers. That's the full word. B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S. Mubi.com. M-U-B-I.com. Slash brothers. Show your support for the show and treat yourself to a movie. Yeah, so she has a disc and she accidentally leaves it at Hard Bodies. And uh, that's where Brad Pitt and Francis McDormand and uh, uh, Richard Jenkins work. And they find that shit. Yeah. That intelligent shit. Uh, and to quote Chad. To quote Chad. And uh, I think the, by so the, doing so, yeah. unhatches like the the plot of the movie. The the when we talk about what the fuck, it all stems from this. Is that the one crazy circumstance that no one would believe that we're all in in this movie? Is that someone left a disc at a gym? And now we're off to the races. So Chad uh, and Ted, uh, who is Richard Jenkins and uh, Manolo, I want to just read the uh, the uh, interaction between them sure. when they find this. Chad says, "I can't believe this. This is like intelligent shit." Ted, I'm not comfortable with this. Chad, this is like I can't believe the shit I'm seeing. Ted, Manolo found it. Manolo on the floor there. <laughs> Which I also like the idea that all the time Manolo is obviously overcompensating that he found it on the floor, which is probably yeah. means that he was probably rummaging through that poor lady's locker. Maybe, and or he's it. overly excited to be part of something yeah. exciting happening, oh, yeah, so he maybe. just keeps being like, I'm the one who found it. Yeah, yeah. Chad says, yeah, Manolo found the CD like lying in a locker, a locker floor, ladies locker. I'm like, what? someone's music or what and i come in here and it's these files man ted i'm not comfortable with this chad i'm talking signet 
signals and shit and signals means code, you know? You know, it was just lying there, Chad. Talking here about department heads and their names and shit. And then there's these other files that are just like numbers arrayed, numbers and dates and numbers and numbers and dates and numbers and like I that's I think an exact that's quote shit, of the man. script. The raw too. intelligence. Yeah, sorry, just to say Abe is not paraphrasing the line is and numbers and numbers and dates and numbers yeah. and numbers and shit yeah no, that is the actual quote and he goes and i it's, think that's the shit that intelligence so, shit so that like propels us forward is that these are the people who like get the quote-unquote raw intelligence which is once again memoirs of also a his bank account CIA numbers agent. but there's those are also useless that's like a private matter that has nothing yeah to do it doesn't with matter yeah. he's just talking we never see the memoirs we don't know what they are will we briefly francis they established that francis mcdormand's character linda litsky wants plastic surgery that she can't afford they do a few scenes just to take you through like she tried to get the money she doesn't have the money she tries to get her insurance to cover it they won't but all that you need to know is she needs money for plastic surgeries and that's because she's down on her looks uh they also established that ted richard jenkins is in love with her and thinks mm. she's beautiful and is always trying to raise her self-esteem and shit. And they do this with a bunch of great scenes, but I see why you skip them. And I'm just going to let people know, like, no, what the plot pieces I, actually, are. I'm glad you brought it up because there's something I wanted to talk about, which is um, the scene where she goes initially on, like, the Internet uh, date, the first date with Alan, with the guy at the park. And it's like a very... Like, it's a well-known trope at this point, the whole idea of, like, um, you go on a date and you go through the motions and you, like, you have dinner, someone pays, someone, everyone gets fucked, you know, like, um, and then you're sadly drifting off to sleep and you hear the snore of your significant other, kind of, et cetera, et cetera. That trope has been well torn now, but I don't know if it predates this movie. Do you know? Well, yeah, so I want to bring up- I think it was a revelation when they penned it. Which, uh, there's other elements, because you said significant other, which he is not her significant other. Oh, right, Uh, right, right, yeah. I think that's an important distinction. I would say- We've highlighted, because this is something I want to track repeatedly this episode, is three times that they do the comedic undermining, like I said, Simpsons writers might do, but in a more flamboyant way. One is uh, Clooney is always jogs after sex. And okay, so you'll see why I'm starting this way. And now I speak to the audience themselves. Abe and I, one of the reasons we're in love with the Coen brothers that we're trying to elucidate is they treat a film like a song. And what I mean by that is they build, they also treat it like like a mathematical equation in the same what time. Uh, um, they build patterns, Close system. rhythms, yeah. choruses that return. Choruses not just of sound, but of visual or an idea. Like you can have repetition through, we know that the human brain will think this thought when they see this thing, and we bring it up in a rhythmic way. There's a reason it happens this many times in the movie. And they're just the fucking masters. So they've already yeah. set up these patterns that is gonna that are going to be basically the palette of colors they're going to play with for the rest of the movie. Clooney mm-hmm. always, like the rules, the rules of the game, Clooney always jogs after fucking. 
And yeah, when he's jogging, I can get running. Yeah, he constantly thinks cars are following him. Like he is also paranoid about. He works in the CIA, true, but he also always kind of thinks people are following him when he doesn't need to think that. And that's an undermining of the spy trope, because of course, in a real spy movie, they'd be following him, and it would be for some crazy, intense reason. In this movie, it's really dumb. Like, it's a reason that is impactful to his character, but has nothing to do with spy shit and his low stakes. And that's what they do over and over, and it's so great. So, yeah, the, the other thing they're setting up here is the first part of the mirror, because they're going to mirror this later when Francis goes out with Clooney. Her date with Alan, first of all, they go to all the same places, all the same shots conspire. They go to a rom-com movie called, what, Pushing Daisies? No, Bringing up Daisy. Uh, coming, coming up, up Daisy. Daisy. Um, Alan, like, dead eyes the screen and never laughs. And you just realize this dude is like a lifeless chode. He sucks. Um, and then they have, like, perfunctory sex. And she goes through his wallet, which is an awesome double technique because it sets up that she's the type of person who will break a societal taboo. You're like, that's a little yeah. much to go through the dude's wallet. Um but it also has the bigger reveal that there's a note in the wallet that says, don't forget to pick up eggs, honey, in woman's handwriting. So it's like, yeah. oh, this is an Ashley Madison type dude. Like his Tinder profile is set up for him to find women to sleep with once when his wife's out of town. When he his wife's out of town, which is yeah. such a wonderful payoff when Clooney, like here's the, here's the uh, management level that we're talking mm-hmm. about here by the Coen brothers is that in a late, in the later scene where Clooney is now sleeping with Francis McDormand, uh, he says full transparency uh, is my modus operandi. Even though he's not, he's a liar. He's lying he's as he like, says that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he actually went to the action of making it seem like someone was moving out by putting cardboard boxes in his home to be like full transparency. Uh, I am married. Uh, but, uh, you know, like the 18 months ago we've been separated and she's on the outs, which is crazy. Uh, Cause it means he just likes lying. Like he finds it entertaining because he, he could have just yeah, said he, I'm single. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for her though, given what you just said and given the scene in context, that is the perfect thing that she needs to hear in order to be like, okay, you're a good one. Even though he's yes. not. And you can see why he's in the His CIA. His magic is working. He's a good, yeah. slick, charming liar. Um, yeah. But that doesn't hold out for him forever, as we will get to. So the next sure. real plot point is Clooney and Tilda having slept together on a boat. It's unclear to me whose boat it is. Maybe Ozzy's boat. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, it's the Ozzy and Tilda. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's their boat because he lives on it after she kicks him after out after the divorce. Yeah, yeah. So she says like, uh, she's going to divorce Ozzy because he's pathetic and he lost his job and he's an alcoholic. And she Clooney's like, great. Yeah, I always thought you should. I hate that guy. And she's like, so you'll divorce your wife and marry me. And he's like. Yep. And you can tell he super doesn't want to. This was just yet another woman he was cheating on his wife with. And yet, because he is fundamentally a coward and liar, he avoids the confrontation and kicks the can down the road by lying. He goes like, yeah, 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 yeah. that's you're right. That's what I'm going to do. And basically, it seems like his strategy is wait one more day and see if a better plan occurs to me. (laughs) Um, Right. No one. No one is. 
no one is steering this ship. And he goes, I don't uh, really want to hurt Sandy, my wife. You know, uh, I not that I she's mean, she's a nice lady. We'll need to separate, but you know, she's a special lady. And Tilda immediately goes, lady. No, she's a cold, stuck up bitch, which is so funny. Which is word what, for word. Yeah. Yeah. Word for word, what they described each other as. Yeah. <laughs> in other words. And she's like, I've, uh, been, I've been upfront that this wasn't just a tawdry affair. It had to lead somewhere. Right. He's like, Yes, you've been very upfront the whole time. Yes. <laughs> in, a, in a way, it's like, uh, because, like, as I said earlier, everyone is vapid for different reasons. But, like, all of the, the like, Tilda Swinton is just, like, overtly hand-holding every human that she interacts with. Like, l- cut to, she's a doctor. She's a, a specifically. Well, that's a punchline, a, a I pediatrician. think. She's a pediatrician, and she's. Because they've already built at that point she in the film. She has you no know, bedside manner. She has no empathy. She is like a block of ice as a She's person. the and exact to, opposite of what you would expect from a pediatrician. So you laugh so. out loud when they reveal, oh, that's right, a job? Right, and That is a, a payoff. It's but a kid like, who uh, won't say ah, and she's like, say ah. Now behave. I am a doctor. Say ah. Listen, if you don't say ah, I am going to send your mother out of the room and we'll settle this between ourselves. Is that what you want or are you going to act like an adult? And you're like, this kid's like four years old. (laughs) Which means that she's going to like dismiss a mother and so beat she a could child? yell is at a kid what's gonna happen? or scream at the very least or say something yeah, really harsh the to the kid yeah so she is overbearing and horrible but <laughs> all the men in her life are children so, so they kind of need that or you see why she there. is that way yeah she's a real yeah, snow exactly. piercer <laughs> yeah it, it's there's a lot of psychology involved in well it's this true this whole dynamic the two the men sh- quote unquote shitstorm of consequences the two men she's with are broken in such a way that you understand why it appeals to her coping mechanisms yeah. that she employs yeah. in her life. Yeah. Um, exactly. So then weird little scene of Clooney mysteriously buying pipes at Home Depot. And I, I'm just tracking how well, good they're undermining all the spy tropes because you're like, I get this spy trope. He's working on a bomb in his basement or something. Right. Okay. Yes. Hold that thought. It'll pay off later. <laughs> yeah. um, Francis is on the phone with her insurance. Uh, oh, the only reason I bring this up, because as I said, it just establishes that they won't cover her elective cosmetic surgeries, but I thought it was brilliant that the hold music is pictures in an exhibition by Modest <laughs> Mazorgsky, uh, who is also famously a pretentious drunkard who died being shot at a young age, exactly like Osborne Cox. Or like, I believe he died of alcoholism, but... A pretentious drunkard who had talent, but his drinking problem made him leave his industry and he died young. Uh, and I don't know if that's intentional, but it really worked for me. <laughs> that's that's fucking hilarious. I mean, uh, not that someone's yeah. a drunkard and died. I'm just saying that's what a, what a situation. Yeah. But as, as uh, well, you said we're off to the races and plot wise to describe the races we are off to. Uh, what makes this whole engine work is that Linda Litsky, Francis McDormand, and Brad Pitt decide what they should do is blackmail whatever spy accidentally left the CD in the gym while they were working out right. to get her the money to pay for her surgeries. And yeah. Brad Pitt seems to just want to help her because he's a very loyal friend who enjoys adventures. That's really all God, that's in it for him. God, he... he 
talk about Revelation. He's Him a, in this movie yep. might be the best use of Brad Pitt It ever. changed my views on Brad Pitt's whole career as an actor, he's including retroactively. He's just so likable and good. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just... Osborne Cox, I thought you might be worried about the security <laughs> low voice. of your shit. <laughs> Who is this? Like he, we have like, your shit. Your, and you know, like, your sensitive <laughs> shit. Your, <laughs> he always says shit. Appearances can be deceptive yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's which is hilarious coming from a guy who like treats his body like a temple like he's always listening to music he's running and he's excited like every day at the gym which puppy. is every day for him yeah. he's really good at his job like he's really good um, like the first time we see him he's i disagree like, the guy says you snap something in my ass and he goes huh and then he goes to yeah. help linda with her <laughs> dating profile you're right you're right <laughs> he may not be great at his job but he loves his job yes is, i guess he's more enthusiastic and he wants he's to do enthusiastic well. about everything yeah. and he's he's just a big supporter and we need more people like that he's like a dog he's like um we you need know, more chads yeah, you, you open up the door and they come at you and they're just like, give me hugs. What you are we going like, to do today, buddy? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, that guy. He's always running on plenty of Jamba Juice nutrient boosters in his bloodstream. <laughs> right, right. um, right. will, so, but yeah, I also want to point out that it is either directing or acting choices, most certainly a mix of both. Like in, in a thing where Brad Pitt is still doing a fine job and charming like the Ocean's 11, 12, 13 series, uh, you know, he's eating an apple and that makes you seem casual and he's getting his lines out and they're good. But in the Cohen's hands, everyone is forced to or rises to the occasion or they do it for you. I th I'm sure it's different in every case. Make concrete, specific decisions because uh, they're composing a piece of music here. They're they're finishing out a math equation here. Yeah. Everything is conscious every every moment. So like Brad Pitt, very clearly intentionally there's no way it, no one thought of this and made it concrete he does gun hands the entire scene his hands right. are never not gun hands when he's going <laughs> dates and numbers and shit to the point where he picks up a water bottle but with just his thumb and index finger because he still has to do gun hands and he turns hands. his head 90 degrees to the side to drink out of the water bottle just to be weird, to be Chad like, like the decisions yeah. are so concrete and amazing. Uh, I love his when he's hovering over Frances McDormand's desk when she's looking at uh, potentials, uh, dating people, yeah, dating people, and he's like, "Where, where do you work?" And she's like, uh, "State Department," and he goes, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, in a way that you know that he doesn't know what the what State Department it is, is or what they do yeah. there. Yeah, he just I knows that it's like got reputation. So he's like, yeah. "That's cool." I love uh, <laughs> at first, of course, because in classic story fashion, Linda doesn't immediately go, "I am a blackmailer now." It's a slow burn. And so the first step is, well, we found this stuff. We should probably put up a lost and found note. And Brad's pit argument that they can't do that. They can't go to the cops or whatever is, what? What, Linda? Highly classified shit found? You know, signal shit, intelligence shit, CIA shit? What do we post? Hello? Did anyone lose their secret intelligence CIA shit? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. As so and, great. 
And Linda eventually convinces herself later too that she knows how to do spy shit, and it's just right, it's just everything right. she tries to do is gleaned from a TV show she saw. So um, Osborne Cox obviously is aware of their idiots, uh, and well, they, he basically yeah. threatens them, and they decide that they are going to change tactic, but not change well change strategy, but uh, in that they're going to approach the Russians, right? Well, uh, yeah. Okay, so it's real a little quick, farther down, but I just want to move we're going, us forward. I know we're going slow this time, so to make some progress, but I want to get through the things I noted. Sure. Um, so, real, let's keep it short. But I do have a question for you because I said you find out Ted L- Richard Jenkins is in love with Linda Litsky. The way you find that out is a little scene where they're drinking at the sports bar. Um, yeah, and she is saying. Uh, how ugly she feels. She wants an advance on her salary to get the plastic surgeries. He says he doesn't yeah. have the authority to do that. He, a, pr- he says produces you know, a photo of him being. There's a, a lot of guys well. who would love you just the way you are, and she goes, "Yeah, losers." And you can tell that he takes that personally, and then he tries right. to impress her by showing her a photo proving that he was a Greek Orthodox priest for 14 years. And then she says, why aren't you anymore? That's a really good job, good benefits, which is just funny dialogue. Um, yeah, and he just, says, yeah. long story. Do you think that he had a drinking problem? Or, uh, that um, is... To mirror I mean, if Cox? we're talking about the Coen brothers and we talk about closed systems and all of the... Everything is a nod, and if there is a nod, it means something, and if there isn't a nod, it means nothing. Um, so there's no like additional work or mental gymnastics that you have to do. Right. I would say yes, that is absolutely the case because when he comes back later, he does order. He drink. orders a seven and seven, whereas he ordered a ginger ale before. Yeah, so he obviously is not a drinker, and uh, he doesn't make he doesn't make it um, obvious. He's just like no, no, just you know. He says long uh, story. He, so. Yeah. So it sounds like a recovering alcoholic. So and it's then, a, that's a new mirroring that I did not realize fully till now. That's beautiful to me. Which, which is, is Osborne you got these Cox. two older yeah. bald dudes, and that casting must be intentional, I think. And they face sure. each other at the end, and one aging bald dude who's dissatisfied with life uh, says to the other one, "You are everything. You're the reason my life is shit." because of your secret actions, you're part of this evil conspiracy against me. And he goes, no, I'm not. And that's so fucking poignant and heartbreaking to me now that I understand the unspoken subtext is, no, I'm basically you. You're killing yourself right now. This doesn't strike back at anyone you're trying to strike back at. You're just killing me. I'm just some guy. With the action of murder, he is killing himself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I don't want to skip just because I wrote the quotes on the phone. Like you said, the the goal is to blackmail Osborne Cox and set up a meeting in the park. But the dialogue is, uh, he wakes Osborne up at like two in the morning. Hello, hello. Yes, hello. Who the fuck is this? Hello, Osborne Cox. Hello. Yes, hello. This is Osborne Cox. Who the fuck are you? What fucking files are you talking about? And then he reads off of his memoir. We called him Slovak the Butcher. He had very little report with his staff, 
Rapport. Rapport, Rapport, fucking moron. Who the fuck is this? How did you get this file? Who the fuck are you? Hey, don't blow a gasket, Osborne. And then they talk a bit more, and he goes, we just thought a good Samaritan reward would be involved. Oh, so it's money. So it's, it's money. You money. want money. I love the repetition of that line. Yeah. And he goes, well, yeah, why not? Listen to me, you fucking clown. It's just great yeah Um, it's just (laughs) the the quickness with like that's one of the things that i love in writing and i always come back to is uh you watch tv and you watch like a tv show like i don't know like agents of shield or some bullshit Mm -hmm. and like they over explain everything to make it clear Right. The Coen brothers here, when he answers that phone call and it's just like the repetition of like Brad Pitt going like Osborne Cox. Yes, yes. this is hello. Yes. It's it's so much truer to what's going on. Like and it's what would happen moments in of realization yeah. that it, they just speed right past it and go like, we don't need to be. You got the information. In other words, the Coen brothers are treating you as you should be treated like as an intelligent. Adult seeing you the get movie. it. Yeah. They, we don't need to over explain it. And I just that's it's our one job. Of the affectation. The yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I hate about uh, most media, and one of the reasons that I keep coming back to Coen Brothers is mm-hmm. like, oh mm-hmm. my god, thank you for treating me like yeah. an intelligent individual. So, uh, and I think it's important to note uh, that it's Linda's active action that she chooses to make that surprises Chad to d- grab the phone. Chad just looks overwhelmed and confused. She grabs the phone and says, essentially, it's not Good Samaritan. It's blackmail. We'll call you back with our demands and hangs up. Right, so this right. is the engine of the plot. Linda Linda is the Jerry Lundegaard of this movie. She's a, a middle-aged, yep. a person approaching middle age who has a fine life. And if she didn't do anything, everything would be fine. If Jerry Lundegaard could have appreciated his wife and child, he would have been fine. If she could realize that she doesn't need plastic. Also, Frances McDormand is fucking beautiful. She wouldn't need, she'd be fine. But she tries to step out of her lane. She tries to mix it up with Anton Sugar. She tries to keep the bag of money. Linda, Mm -hmm. Jerry Lundegaard, you can't win in a Coen Brothers movie. You're not going to... Well, well, it, it's we'll become see. increasingly clear <laughs> that Coen Brothers movies, the way that they view crime, which all of their movies are about crime, mm-hmm. um, the way that they view it is it's overreaching. It's the idea of saying, hey, I have a stake in this. I demand of the world that I get my just deserves. And the world says, you didn't earn I don't know. I, or I, I, you're not I, part of a, this group. Or just yeah. you're not, you're going to be put on your ass because I'm crazy and protean. Um, and that that is why we always bounce back and forth between this idea of justice and nihilism in Coen Brothers, which mm-hmm. I know we're getting into the, the symbolism of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying like that right there, what you said, that scene, that is exactly Coen Brothers Definitely. to me. That's what motivates every plot of every Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, so Clooney sees his wife off because she's off on a book tour because she's essentially J.K. Rowling. Um, she's off also obviously supportive and loving and sexually engaged 
it's clear that like similar to 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 uh, Francis, like what the fuck is his problem? It made me wonder if he's a legit sex addict. You know, like cannot. Yeah, it might have, be. Doesn't have control over it, because basically the he badgers his wife for sex and has a mistress in Tilda Swinton, and has active dating profiles like. He's fucking as many women as he can fuck at all times. It's like a, it's mm-hmm. his all-consuming way of life. Um, and that leads, as you said, to a date with Linda Litsky. We get the same scene that she went through with the date Alan. And yet at every step, the only difference is, because what's funny is he's also married. This is also a doomed relationship. The only difference is he's fun and charming and willing to lie to her. Yeah. Yeah, so he laughs at the movie that the other guy didn't laugh at. Yeah, he laughs. He uh he makes jokes. He he builds a rapport. He pretends uh, to get anaphylactic shock from the shellfish, but he doesn't yeah, really. He <laughs> does all the bits that she, you know, she kind of falls victim to uh a little bit because like we said he, he's a liar, but like he's so charismatic. He's just charisma incarnate. Mhm. And love- he's George Clooney. <laughs> Well, when he shows up for the date, which we didn't get with Alan, we get a worm's eye view shot up at him and behind him is the Washington Monument. This guy is just a giant walking erection at all times. That's what right. he is. <laughs> right. Shirt tucked in. Uh, it's like always impeccably pressed. In the, fact, the uh, this is yeah. this is something that uh, uh, Mary Zeofres talks about uh, is that he... Uh, a movie starring George Clooney and Brad Pitt and they're both in their aging years but also like they were both sex bots in other words Mm -hmm. Uh, make one look like he is like the the impeccable costume decisions in order to make Brad Pitt look frumpy and make George Clooney look overconfident and kind of exuding like he puts uh, a lot of effort into getting put yeah, together. Yeah, he puts yeah. too much effort, and he, you know, kind of in the same way that in *Tolerable Cruelty*, they had some work with, you know, his teeth, teeth and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, it's that kind of same thing. But they actually, uh, the costume designer had to tailor a suit for Brad Pitt to make him not look good because not look better than Clooney or whatever. Quote, yeah. quote, like she quoted. Every suit looks good on Brad Pitt. <laughs> Even if it's too big, it looks kind of yeah, cool, so like it's a to, choice. Yeah, <laughs> they had to do weird shit, like like cutting ways in which a tailor wouldn't do in order to make oh, him look right. out of his element. Because a recurring visual bit is Francis McDormand always makes him go home and change into right. a suit because you can't do spy shit not in a suit. Is her belief? And he's yeah. like, oh, I gotta go home. Well, I was going to ride my bike there. I was going to ride so my bike. So he shows yeah. up to the blackmail meeting riding a bike with a giant doofy helmet with earbuds in, chewing gum, but in a full suit. <laughs> right. Like, I legit want fan fiction about Francis McDormand and Brad Pitt. You know, like, they're yes. the oh, true Oh, just hanging winners. out. Yeah, Just hanging sure. out and just, like, hugging. Like, Dude, that's a, what a I need in my sitcom where life. they're the roommates and they just do stuff and stuff so happens great. to them would be great. They're so yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I, there's also some Eskimo sibling ship going on because <laughs> sure. Francis has sex with Clooney, who has sex with Tilda who has presumably at some point had sex with John Malkovich, who's the man she's blackmailing 
It's just weird. In that way where plots become, you're like, how did this vast city of Washington, D.C. with millions of people, how do they all find each other? Movie magic. In fact, David Rash says to J.K. Simmons, because every now and then we take a dipstep (laughs) in the actual CIA, he actually says, apparently they're all having sex with each other. They all seem to be sleeping with each other, sir. Yeah. What does it mean? We're not sure, sir. (laughs) We're not sure, sir. (laughs) So... um, she is falling in love with Clooney, but part of the reason is also that he supports her view of herself, uh, meaning she's flattered that a traditionally handsome dude like Clooney seems to be falling for her, but at the same time, it doesn't like raise her self-esteem because he is agreeing with her that she should get cosmetic surgery. Right, yeah. He's like and she has to defend it. She goes, not in a mean way, though, in like a very funny way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't know, everyone in this movie, I want to save them just by a conversation, you know? Just like, you know what's going on, right, Sandy? You know what's going on, (laughs) right, Katie? Yeah. Yeah. Linda, please. On the date. Is that shell food? Because I can't eat shell food. I get anaphylacta, anaphylacta. Oh, well, fuck it. You can't always wear a condom, right? Right. Not always. That's Not just, always. <laughs> what a ballsy thing to say on a first date to right. the female. You can't always wear a condom, se- right? And they're pieces of shit, both of them, uh, for doing that. But like in the same scene, the uh, interaction where George Clooney like steals her dumpling. Yeah. You know, like it's such a genuine moment so charming yeah it's so charming and it comes from a place where it's just like obviously these are two actors doing they just fucking they're good yes. they're just really but fucking also i good. think it's story structure because one of the few ways in which spy shit is going on is you understand why Clooney's a good spy because he's a good liar so it's like He's not a spy, technically. No, I think he's, he's just, he's he never fired his gun. Department. Yeah. He often brags that he's never discharged his weapon in 20 years of service. Yeah, I think he's more personal security. Which I assume he means he's never made his partner come, but that's just how yeah. I read that. Um, sure, sure. Um, but my point really being that that exact scene could play, and if it wasn't already established by your knowledge and the scenes that led up to it that he's married and he's lying, it would be such a good rom-com scene. You can see how Francis is fooled into thinking this is the one and they're falling in love. It's really romantic. But it's yeah. not because you know that it's all fake. Like, it's the opposite of it's, romantic. Yeah. It's, it's sad uh, for Francis. It's like a love it's like a a love note on a grave. <laughs> you know, it's it's just like, I'm sorry. It's so sad that you're dead on arrival right. kind and of, of course thing. richard you know, jenkins no one is getting out of this situation ted is firing a flare gun into the air essentially going but i'm in love with you and clooney's probably gonna fuck you and she goes i don't notice <laughs> that's that's her journey um yeah i love when ted and linda uh talk uh ted says linda what do you really know about this guy linda i told you he's in the treasury department ted but uh, no, I mean, like he could be one of the guys, these guys that cruise the internet. Linda says, "Yes, yeah, so am I." <laughs> but he means inf- infidelity. He's alluding to infidelity, and she yeah. is oblivious to all of his warnings. Always, yeah. she wants that. Like that's what she wants. She wants a person who cruises the internet for love. 
Yes, because that's she what she is. I don't think she is specifically targeting married men. No. I think that is coming no. from other. And I think that's Ted's uh, analysis that is correct. Yeah. But Linda and Linda's blind to. But Linda just wants. She just wants someone. Like I love the interaction when she goes home with him, with Clooney, uh, and. When she sees this huge offer of the uh, the violator or whatever it's called, I forget. In a previous episode, they the thought of this thing, uh, gr- the intruder, which a uh, grip, by the way, uh, inside baseball, uh, on set there is a lead grip, mm-hmm. and they re- uh, who actually made uh, like a sex seat that uh, had a dildo in it, and mm-hmm. it was just it's like when he says. Uh, Clooney says it's basically just speed rail. Speed rail is basically a thing that only like industry types say. So mm-hmm. that is definitely a quote from the guy that they had as a lead grip who made a sex seat and was talking at work about it and they overheard it but and this laughed is, at it. In this case, it's used as the undermine punchline for yeah. he's building something secret in the basement. It's a dildo attached to a chair. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and I love how Linda is like, "That's fantastic." She says, "That's fantastic," because she's yeah, sexually she, open. She loves it. Yeah, yeah, which is such a huge offer. I mean, not to mention like, uh, you know, he's like, idea, "Yeah, that could be fun." Yeah, yeah, this Whereas, is great because of your grooming from all movies and the way American society is. You definitely right. think oh, this is where shit gets weird between them. And it's like, no, she's super into it. <laughs> she's, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, this cannot stand. You cannot show me a sex toy on a first date. I mean, that's a bold No, move, no, no. It's like their fifth like, date But like there's people point. who are like showing each other sex toys on the first date. No, and that's fine. But go they've been, to, they've gone, been go, go to town. They've been going out for a while at that point. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they've just dated like for the twice record. at least. Um, yeah. Also, do you think the fact that Chad's spy name is Mr. Black is a Meet Joe Black reference? <laughs> uh, spy name. Sure. I think it's I think it's just the coolest like I think Mr. that's Black. them kind of throwing shade at uh Tarantino types. Where sure. it's just like, what's the coolest name? I don't know. Oh, that's well in Reservoir Dogs. The Reaper. <laughs> there's know? the famous like, Reservoir Dogs scene where everyone wants to be Mr. Black. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of all molded up into that, and I think that that's what Brad Pitt's character is—is is just, just a fire hydrant of you know just consumption of yeah. what he thinks is cool. Right. He thinks listening to music and like throwing punches in the air and being like super optimistic is cool. He thinks that intelligent shit, the raw intelligence. Uh, he laughs at Osborne Cox for calling his bicycle a Schwinn. A Schwinn, when, yeah. A Schwinn, which when is, you know, like a child's more of bike. a professional bike. But he was just <laughs> using the brand name to mean bike. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Anyway. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. to get through, just uh, you've alluded to it a few times to get the it word perfect. It's uh, look, Mr. Black. I know who you are, and or you know who I am, and I know who you are. And he goes, perhaps, but appearances can be deceptive. Yeah. But my favorite is the topper. Let me explain something. You are right now engaged in blackmail, okay? That's a felony. <laughs> appearances can be deceptive. Like, he doesn't. He just repeats he doesn't believe himself. Yeah. yeah, no, maybe blackmail's not a felony, and that's deceptive. <laughs> and then later it's, so just give me the floppy 
or CD or whatever the fuck it is. And he goes, when you give us the money, dickwad. And he just cold cocks Chad right in the nose. And Chad looks personally hurt. Like he thought they were going to be friends. And now this. And he goes, you fuck. You fucker. And Malkovich goes, I know who you are, fucker. And he goes, I'm not the fucker. You're the fucker. And he starts crying and running away. It's so good. It's such a good scene. And then Frances McDormand like, just like peels out and is like, we got to go follow him. She rams the back of his car and, zi- and yeah. flips him off. And then they like see each other and they like say like, you've basically it's road rage. It's just. Uh, and he the, goes, fucking morons. The depth, yeah. the depth of it is not that deep. It's basically just, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> That's yeah. all road rage is. Uh, it's so and then, good. as you said, because Osborne Cox will not give them the $50,000 they want, she decides to go to the Russian embassy, which never really hammered home for me the first few times I watched it. But this oh, time yeah? I'm like, this means, so at this point, the character has decided, she would sell the country out to our foreign enemies, which could lead to the death of, of civilians for cosmetic surgeries. So she's not just misguided. Linda Litsky's a piece of shit. Like, she's yeah. awful. She would, she, yeah, she would kill people. She's super self interested and vapid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like everyone else in the movie. Everyone is not comfortable with their lot, and they demand that the world give them a better situation yeah and the world's like nah so she gives the dude at the russian embassy the cd and tells him to look at it and says that's just a taste which we know is untrue it's all the information they have so why it's all the information they have and they don't even know what they have and then which is the memoirs (laughs) i love that as he's out of the room she says to chad the fish has bitten <laughs> like as if it's spy lingo and he goes huh oh yeah yeah he seemed cool yeah that, i wrote that down too i was <laughs> yeah, laughing yeah. it's one of the best lines in the movie but also because it's just mr crapkin doesn't seem cool so that means chaz chad is so nice he can get along with anyone <laughs> anybody yeah. except osborne cox except osborne yeah. cox but crapkin is like i am russian give me the disc and he's like that guy seemed cool yeah. the fish has bitten i love it because it's it's also wonderful because it uh it acknowledges how like incompetent everyone is but right the that line oh he seems cool is so good because it acknowledges a new incompetence which is the incompetence between themselves like as a unified front they're incompetent but Mm -hmm. if you take away that strip the idea that they have like the singular vision and they start to digress and she's like well i'm gonna be cool this way and he's like i'm gonna be cool this way they're still incompetent they yeah. There's no one that they can interact with that they don't ooze incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just another it's just one of those little things that I think the Cohen brothers and a few other filmmakers and writers do that are just like, ah oh, yeah, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> yeah. Um so to get us through our first spectrum it's sure. in, a, in a timelier fashion. Uh, I'm going to skip over some just linking scenes that develop the themes and motifs we've already talked about. The next big turn is that Ozzy is passed out drunk with his car damaged when Tilda comes home. And she's like, I don't care what the fuck the reason of the story is. That's it. We're divorced. You're moving out. Like, Clooney, 
divorce your fucking wife. We're getting married now. Um, and he instead avoids confrontation yet again by just going on another date with Francis McDormand. Well, Tilda just told him, call your wife and like break it off right now. He's like, oh, I don't know. And to take his mind off it, he goes on another date with Francis. Um, and he shows her the sex chair. She says, that's fantastic. Uh, meanwhile, Ozzy is slowly learning through the grapevine of just industry associates. He's mm-hmm. like, can you just figure out who these assholes are? And they're like, of course. Linda Litsky and Chad, whatever, Feldspar. They work at uh, Feldheimer. Feldheimer. They work at Hard Bodies. Like, they easily find out everything about them. Yeah. But it remains to yeah. be clear to anyone what they're doing or why they're doing this. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> right. So it's very easy for them to go, they just met with the Russians. How do you know? Oh, we have spies at the embassy. They were there like four hours ago. So they tried to yeah. give this disc with my memoirs on it to the Russians. Uh-huh. Why? That I don't know. Like, no one can figure out. We don't have yeah. any intelligence exactly. on this. Um, Ozzy comes back from that meeting after being served with divorce papers by someone at the club to find that Tilda's put all his crap in boxes in the rain out on the sidewalk. He starts living in the boat. <laughs> So then, and stop me when you have, but really, I, I have fewer notes. I have a lot of uh, pedagogy notes here, but as far yeah, as yeah, diegesis, um, yeah, we're I sort mean, of we just can... building towards the unraveling of the plot now. Linda and Chad... It really ends quickly. Like, you go, like, uh, be, it, it's a shorter film, but it it feels short, right? Am it, I wrong about this? It feels like uh, once it gets going in the third act, yeah, it's really it's, focused on satisfying plot wrap-ups so you right. get like, i mean then it's, this happens it's, then this happens then it's, this happens. Uh, yeah. it's definitely a comedy of errors but it reminds me of uh, that play noises off it, uh, it reminds me of a play in general yeah yeah because like act three is so truncated and just like and then that 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 and that and there you go yeah. Also, you know, people it's out act there, two the whole time. If you've never seen or read Noises Off, there's a reason you always hear about it. It's mm. like there's a reason you always hear about Moby Dick. It's actually good. Right. Noises Off is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, it's check out Noises fucking, Off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's set the template for like the most elaborate possible comedy of errors you can stage and it's really yeah good. it's just people walking in rooms going like oh no <laughs> but know, with like, multiple layers because you're seeing the backstage yeah. <laughs> and the front stage at simultaneously it's quite yeah it's quite arrested development like in its intricacies hey there let's slow it down a little take a little coen brothers brothers break so i can tell you fine folks a little bit of what's going on over at small beans in case you somehow were not made aware um, you should have been appraised. We've launched a brand new web series called Off Hours. So if you're only a podcast fan, we've really put our heart and souls into this flagship series, and we hope you'll check it out. The pilot is available to watch now on our YouTube channel. So just head over to YouTube and search for Small Beans for our new show, Off Hours, about four people sitting around dissecting pop culture with awesome cartoons and fan theories and clip packages and if you haven't heard the phrase clip package it probably doesn't sound funny to you but trust me well done clip packages are very very funny so all of that and more 
uh, at our YouTube channel. And hey, while you're at it, head over to patreon.com slash smallbeans just to stay abreast of everything we're up to, support all of our various projects, find out where we're headed in the future, or help dictate where we're headed in the future. You can find a bunch of Small Beans merchandise there, and you can also find the Discord, which is sort of a little community of Small Beans fans who have a great time shooting the shit digitally, and you could be one of them. Last but not least, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast subscription service, although iTunes is the most helpful to us. Uh, And a positive review or failing that, tell a friend about us. Or if you hate us in this, uh, I hope you find your way out easily and, and find joy and happiness in your life. And now back to the program. Basically, Linda pushes Chad to do something he doesn't want to do, which is go beat play spy by breaking into John Malkovich's house. And the reason is the Russians go, we don't want your disc. It's just some douchebag's memoirs. And she's like, but he is a spy, right? And they're like, well, yeah, he worked for the CIA. But it's nothing we care about. So now they don't. Right. Now she's going above and beyond. This is not a path the universe or destiny laid out for her. But she's sending her man. She's trying to force it. She's saying, well, we know he's a spy. Let's just break into his house and steal something we can blackmail him with. And it's like, well, now you're just committing blackmail, like from square one. And so he scopes (laughs) out her house and we still see, you know, him looking around and seeing that there's other people watching, which is. Well, it's funny. Brad Pitt notices that someone is following George Clooney. Yeah. But yeah. So he's at the house of Osborne Cox. But it's Tilda Swinton and George Clooney. House now. Because they have Cox sex. has been kicked out. They bring, well, they bring the sex, you know, uh, pillow. I just want to uh, point out how similar it is to the way they execute yeah. on uh, Anton Chigurh walks out and checks his boots for blood. It's a flat establishing shot of a stoop. And it lets you know what happened, what just happened inside in this. Because of the payoff of he's in now running clothes. So, you know, they must, you know, that he at some point in the last three minutes said, I could probably get a run in, you know, because he just fucked. Uh, And she's like wearing her shades, you know, and like Mm -hmm. quickly walking to the, you know, uh, car. So she's dropping him off five, five Five miles miles down. So that gives, uh, Brad Pitt time to go in and like find the quote unquote raw intelligence. And just in terms of freshness creates a perfect ticking clock. You know that the thing that will ruin Brad Pitt is Clooney getting home and you know, he's running five miles back home. That's such good basic ticking clock spy movie shit. So well yeah. and subtly executed. Yeah, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's how you build the tension, arrival motherfuckers. Of home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how you do it. Uh, and so he's rifling through stuff, trying to figure out how computers work. Long story short, uh, George Clooney comes back mm-hmm. and uh, you know is like doing his post-run thing where. He, like Brad Pitt hears him, goes into a closet. George Clooney goes to the shower, just scrubs himself down, doesn't take a full shower, takes like, you know, 30 second shower kind of idea. Yep. When he comes out, uh, how cool is the acknowledgement of Brad Pitt looking around inside the closet and noticing that the gun is not in the holster? And noticing such a the sex Wonderful pillow payoff. That was a comedy yeah. beat. Right. He right. just goes yeah, like, he, what's no. that pillow? And you know it's a sex yeah. pillow. Yeah. It's a sex pillow. But uh, that the acknowledgement, like, because we do not know 
like, okay, so if you were to tell me as a director, all right, this is a scene where someone comes into a room and shoots someone. Yeah. I'd probably have a shot of the gun, right? Right. To show their stakes. That's mm-hmm. a very basic situation. Here, the Coen brothers choose to not show a gun. Because the gun is already in his hands. (laughs) There's no cut to George Clooney. The first time we see a gun is actually when George Clooney shoots Brad Pitt in the head. Point blank in the face as Brad Pitt smiles in such a way that you know the very next thing he was going to say was, I can explain, but it's like too late, man. Too late. (laughs) I know this seems crazy, bro. Shot in the face. (laughs) So George Clooney freaks out. Well, it's also sad. I mean, it's, this is now becoming what it is, which is a pitch dark comedy because it's funny. And yet at the same time, this is a man who's proud of never having discharged his weapon in 20 years of service. And he just killed the nicest dude in the world. Like, and he, he puts him in the Chesapeake. Like he buries Buries the body because as he says, I just killed a spook. You know, like he thinks that he he is on some hit list, which is crazy to me because why would he not think it could be some other dude? Tilda Swinton's fucking. It's right. like or it looks any like number Brad of Pitt, situations, you know, yeah. any number of someone robbing his house. But he's like, because his paranoia and he works in the CIA, he's like, yep. I killed a fucking spook. And he drops the body in the Chesapeake Bay, which, by the way, is also a joke because the Chesapeake Bay is an inland bay, which is rather shallow. He should have, like, dropped it elsewhere. <laughs> so they cut to J.K. Simmons. You drive going, 30 miles and get to the yeah, ocean. Yeah. He dropped the body in the Chesapeake Bay. Why would he do that? We don't know, sir. Well, what should we do with the body? Burn it. Get rid of it. (laughs) Get rid of it. A fucking, I don't know. I don't want this to hit my desk again. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so he he definitely does that. So it's hitting so many comedic undermines of spy tropes because I was as tense as in high tension when she's hiding in the closet. And yet, in retrospect, you realize... This trope and the the feeling it gives you is exactly the same as spy movies of anyone hiding in the house of the bad guy because they need information, and if they get found, they'll be killed. But in this case, no spy shit was involved. Brad Pitt is not a spy. He's not there for George Clooney. George Clooney is not active in a spy operation. George Clooney doesn't know who Brad Pitt is. Brad Pitt's shit does not affect George Clooney, and George Clooney never finds out who that was or why that happened or what was going on. He just it's makes the, a fiction. Yeah. It's the opposite of spy on every level. Yeah, it's so it's, satisfying. Uh, counterintelligence. Right, and of course that killing someone in a spy movie is heroic and solves problems, whereas in this case it makes Clooney seem like a fucking baby because he starts sobbing and rolling around the floor and falling down the stairs like he, he's not a James Bond, he is not. You know what I mean? No, no. He's not he brave or capable. Department. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a real... It changes his life. He has to move to Argentina. And yet he tries to do a badass roll to grab his gun. Like, fuck, you shot him point blank in the head, dude. You don't have to roll into the room to grab your gun. Right, right. (laughs) So, uh, okay. They all seem to be sleeping with each other. We said that. Um, I also love the general undermining because every time we cut to... The people in the CIA, led by J.K. Simmons, to me, in a normal spy movie, you will get the feeling, finally, the godlike figures who observe everything from above are going to recap the confusion. 
But every time you cut to those scenes, they're technically unnecessary scenes because they go, so what's going on? We don't know, sir. We'll get back to me when you know what's going on. <laughs> it's like, it's the opposite of why you have those scenes in a movie like this. Right. It's, it's, they, they cannot fathom why they exist. It's an existential question. Why are we doing this? Well, what you can't fuck? analyze people on? if the people you're analyzing are confused and misinformed about the reality of what's going on because you don't know that they don't know what they're doing. It's hard to quantify how much someone doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> right. And you're uh, trying so, to figure out why they do what they do, you know? So, uh, to, so we don't really know who sure any... we propel yeah. forward. I just want to say, so the next step after all this, there's a bunch of things that happen, but sure. like mostly terms of plot. Um, the next step is Ted, Richard Jenkins, is now feels the need to save as they've done with uh, Linda, like feels the need to get involved with her situation. And so he well, decides. Also, the stakes are objectively raised in a way that makes it yeah. that maybe she started this because of the cosmetic surgeries, but she actually really can't back out now because Chad right. is missing. Like Chad disappeared right. off the face of the earth. So that's why Ted is like, okay, I'll get involved because, yeah, that's pretty scary. Chad is missing. That's heavy. Right. That's yeah. heavy, yeah. And also, you're clearly in distress, and I care about you. Right. Um, so he eventually, after a bunch of scenes with hard bodies and a bunch of checking in with, you know, all the things that all uh, the different plots at the same that time, Tilda spinning Clooney, plates. Yeah. Tilda and Clooney's marriage reaches a boiling point where Clooney, because of partly it's implied the trauma of having killed someone, now is like, mm -hmm. you know what? I've tried to be positive, but I, you are negative, and I do hate you. This, I'm not going to marry you. I fucking love how I many want carrots. My, yeah, do you think you've chopped enough carrots? And it's just a sea of carrots because he's got post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, you know, like it's, he's got an yes. issue. But he killed somebody. The important plot point is he goes, "No, I'm not going to divorce my wife and marry you. I break yeah. up with you, and I'm going to recommit to my wife." Then, it's, yeah, it's, then plot-wise, uh, he finally chases down the person who's been following him, and that person, and we can get into the funny quotes later, but I'm with you. Let's get out of this spectrum. Um, that person turns out to be his wife's divo divorce attorney, another undermining. It was not about spy shit. It was not a CIA agent. It was a representative from the divorce attorney's office uh, to explain that his wife, the children's author, is filing for divorce because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. So he Sandy, just broke it off with Tilda and Sandy is divorcing him. Yeah, which is just such a great payoff because it means there's a bunch of... So it's like that word Sonder, right? Which yeah. we've mentioned, I think, a few times, you know, which is just to recap, just the idea that when you walk around, everyone else is having an infinite number of complexities going on in their life. And the realization of that is called Sonder. Uh, th the way that is attributed in this film is that oh so there was a whole other plot with this character that we kind of knew but we didn't really get into that she had an infinitely complex uh like situation as well where she wanted to divorce her husband probably suspected he was cheating maybe knew explicitly maybe probably didn't. contacted yeah. her own divorce attorneys went through all yeah. that kept up he's the not facade yeah I mean, he's quote unquote good at lying, but he's not like 
You can't do that forever. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that forever. And she's an intelligent woman. She's a successful woman. She, she wrote Harry Potter basically. So she, she knows what's up. She's more like she wrote like where the wild things are, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, uh, Clooney's breakdown over his divorce takes the form of smashing the sex chair with a sledgehammer, which is just funny to hear. Sad music. (laughs) See George Clooney crying as genuinely as he can. It feels real. And yeah, the does. shot is a tight shot of a dildo flopping around that he keeps hitting with a sledgehammer, <laughs> right. which makes it flop around even more. <laughs> right. It's just, uh, you know, yeah, perfect, as they say. So Linda's excuse to make Ted now break into Osborne Cox's house, which is really disingenuous, in my opinion, in week, yeah. is I'm not good with computers. So instead of her risking herself, now Ted, she's going to drag him into it. Now Ted is breaking back into the same house to go to the same computer and download the same memoirs that nobody wants. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, I want also want to point out that, uh, in that scene where they found the intelligence shit, mm-hmm. Ted says multiple times with the Coen brothers repetition, I'm, I'm not, not comfortable, comfortable with, with this. this. Yep. So not only is she more advanced in computers in terms of like using it, but like, computers is what got us into this problem and Ted doesn't like it from the get-go. And now here he is in a situation where he is trying to download shit that he doesn't understand uh, in order to woo a woman that thinks he's a loser. To take that shit to the Chinese is her quote. I don't know, the Chinese. Um, Yeah, the Russians, they didn't work out, so the Chinese, If the information's valuable and you want this information, China, you have to get Chad back. So her, her, she's pretty disconnected from reality, but that's her plan. Um, Mm. He ultimately does it because she says, I hate your negativity, I hate your reasons, why not? I hate you, I hate you, and he cannot live in a universe where Linda Litsky Yeah, and that's where he he buys the seven and seven, and uh, by the way, at this point, who has been locked out, uh, but has decided that he's been living on his boat, Osborne Cox, who has been locked out of his own home at this point uh, because of the divorce proceedings, uh, just grabs a hatchet and just says, you know what, fuck it. Uh, I'm going to go live in my house. Well, he also Uh, finds out, because this is the payoff of what those codes on the disc actually were for. Tilda Swinton has emptied all his bank accounts. He's a homeless person now, essentially. He's a homeless person, yeah. So he takes a hatchet because she's changed the locks and plans to break into what he can still considers his house and steal. It's telling. I think that first he packages up all the liquor, but also steal all of her jewelry, any valuables that are easy to steal. He'll fence them. And that's how he's going to make a new start. Exactly. But of course the stars align. And I do think this is a reason. So when people saw no country, they're like, this movie's about nihilism. You can tell by at least by a quarter of the way in, this is going to be dark. And then it is. And you leave feeling contemplative and somber. This movie is like, isn't this funny? This farcical comedy of idiots bouncing off each other. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. And then the end is like, isn't this oh, sad? Shit. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it really is. Did you have to bring that up at the end of your comedy? I love it. It gives me a weird feeling that I think is true to life. Um, I think so. But I understand why people feel it's totally inconsistent i would argue that life is totally inconsistent so <laughs> right fuck right, it right. <laughs> um, fuck it what um, the fuck 
But what yeah, I just can't overstate how sad Ted's death is. It's fucking yeah, sad, and dude. it's and they make you feel it too. It's visceral. Like yeah. they they he, uh, John Malkovich basically you know hatchets him on the street, and um, you get about three or four big hits in from mm-hmm. a distant angle. They gave us that. They didn't shoot it like a Tarantino or like a Guy Ritchie. Where yeah. it's like, look at the violence. It was, it's, it's kind of how a spy would see things from an a a, a car on a street from a, at some remove, but it's visceral because you like the CG isn't great, but it's it it it's more or less it does what it's trying to do, which yeah. is um you see gashes in his forehead in his the top of his head in his chest yeah. like he hacks him to pieces in broad daylight in the street in a bathrobe while holding a tumbler of scotch in his other yep. hand he's a madman <laughs> yeah he's at yeah he yeah. he's done and the um quotes that i think people probably remember from that scene that do make you so sad is he goes, I know you, you're the guy from the gym. This is Malkovich. And that's just referencing the fact that he came by the gym looking for more information about Linda mm-hmm. Litsky, and Ted told him to buzz off. He goes, you're the guy from the gym. You're in league with that woman. You're part of a league of morons. You're one of the morons I've been fighting my whole life, my whole fucking life. But guess what? Today, I win. And you know that in John Malkovich's head... This is like the triumphant moment in the movie where the kid who's bullied finally punches the bully in the nose. Right. It's like, no, dude, you're a monster. You're the you, bully. You, yeah. <laughs> you, you've been, you unwittingly stumbled into a nightmare and then you reacted horrifyingly. Right. <laughs> and you martyr yourself in your own mind so easily that you misidentified a random stranger as someone who deserves to be murdered in the street because of what they've done to you. He and has you not done anything to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's the worst form of counterintelligence where assumption governs decisions mm-hmm. as yep. opposed to factual evidence. Yeah. Speaking of that, I love the undermining that J.K. Simmons is like, well, let's say he did have sensitive information and they got it and it gets leaked. What was his security clearance? And the guy goes, three. And he goes, oh, good. No big deal then. So the audience now knows there was never information in play that mattered to anyone ever. No. Yeah. (laughs) All of this was for no reason. Yeah. So then we don't see it. But so after the axing, it cuts back to J.K. Simmons and his subordinate. And he goes, wait, what the fuck happened? (laughs) And he's literally the line. And he goes, well, and he recaps everything we've just said and then ends with, which I felt such a, I love, this is the satisfaction you want as an audience. It ends with, oh, and, oh, and an unfortunate uh, event, sir. Um, We had an analyst watching cox's house because that's how we know what's going on with tilda and clooney and etc yeah well he um when he saw cox you know murdering someone in broad daylight he felt he had to intervene spit it out he shot him uh he shot our man he shot cox oh oh good Yeah, and when like, he says oh, good, so he's dead too. Yeah, you're okay, like, cool. I completely agree or good. he's not dead he's in a coma and he probably won't but survive. i just love 
get to see it and I didn't feel any less pleased. I'm like, no, thank God not at all. I think it's him. apropos <laughs> of exactly what it's trying to do. You know, it's it's perfect. It's yeah. so fucking perfect. But you're right. Uh, and then it's uh, good. an end for Osborne Cox. Is he dead? Goodbye. No, yeah. he's in a coma. Ah, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Because it's yeah. like, can none of this yeah, shit wrap up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then wrap it up which is that's what i meant by the truncated act three because that's the end of the movie yes <laughs> we and, zoom out from langley and it's like there you go people you well, know, well yeah yeah yeah. i want to read the quotes there there are a great. few subplots but that you're right that's the last scene we also skipped um how linda and clooney break up but we'll yeah. get into it in pedagogy but yeah, it's, uh, oh, good, he got shot. Is he dead? No, he's in a coma. J.K. rolls his eyes, and then to comfort him, he goes, oh, but they're pretty sure he won't make it. They're pretty sure. He has uh, no uh, uh, brain function, which I think is just, that's the fitting punishment for him. He hates morons, and now he will live out the rest of his days with no brain function, literally. Uh, Re- yeah. And then he explains what I think the people will want to know. They picked up Linda Litsky. We picked her up. We have her. We have her. For what? To do what with her? Uh, She says she'll play ball if we pay for some surgeries that she wants. They're cosmetic Mm -hmm. surgeries. She says she'll sit on everything. Meaning not... She doesn't know anything, but they're like, I guess she could say Clooney killed someone, etc. And he goes... How much are the surgeries? And he goes, well, it's... And he goes, fuck it, fuck it. Pay for it, pay for it. So at the end of the day, Jerry Lundegaard did win. Like, Linda gets her surgeries at the cost of her friend Chad and her friend Ted dying yeah. for them. Um, Can I read the last lines? The Or did you want to? Because I know that it would be something no, that you No, 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 no. Go for it. Uh, the last lines of the movie, uh, which sum up everything so perfectly, uh, it's between uh, Palmer and uh, J.K., uh, the the supervisor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, J.K. says, what do we learn, Palmer? Palmer says, I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned uh, not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm fucked if I know what we did. <laughs> yes, sir. It's uh, it's hard to say. Zoom out to space. I think yeah, it's important that they even undermine. The resonant line is, fucked if I know what we did. I yeah. love that they take one more beat to be like, it's essentially the feeling of when you end a sketch and then yeah. you add one more line where they go, anyway, you guys want to get out of here? And then the sketch ends. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It's you. just like, uh, I don't know. We did all the mining of the joke. <laughs> yeah. What's left? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> all right. Let's acknowledge that. And then goodbye. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. So in the end, the story was Linda fucks everyone's lives up and gets paid not yeah. to mention that to anyone. Like, not to mention that she fucked up everyone's lives. She gets paid out of it. And then uh, the inciting incident was that Connie, the aging secretary, goes to heart bodies and is forgetful. (laughs) I love that. Uh, uh, and yeah, then actually, and I'm the sorry. The only other subplot that we didn't uh, cover the, is the Linda uh, George Clooney thing, which yes. is that his paranoia has overwhelmed him to such a point that when she mentions the address of where she last knew that Brad Pitt was going, which of course George Clooney shot Brad Pitt, she acknowledges that, and he immediately goes, "Oh my God, 
you m- who are full you? breakdown. Well, it's a great performance. You, he says you could not know this. There's well, no circumstance if, can I do where the you quote could know this since I wrote it. Yes, um, please. He has a full paranoiac breakdown because he realizes I understand too. She's obliquely referencing the guy he murdered and has never spoken about to anyone. So it seems like she's an operative who's closing in on him. And he goes, who are you? CIA, NSA, the military. Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Who are you? And she goes, (laughs) I'm just Linda Litsky. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. She's it's so a, chipper. She's trying to spin it positive. She's trying just, to make like this yeah. is crazy that you're acting in this way. I'm, I'm going to try to bring it back. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're freaking out right now. And he runs uh, away. And of course it turns out that because J.K. Simmons is having her tailed to keep tabs on this situation, they weren't following Clooney, the few people he saw who were CIA. They were following her. And I love that as she drives home from their breakup, the CIA operatives realize she's incompetent, so they don't even try to not be spotted following her. A CIA guy pulls up up on her left and stares at her. A CIA guy pulls up on her right and stares at her. And then a A helicopter helicopter hovers above her, and the guy waves at her from above, and she goes, oh, for Pete's sake. (laughs) For Pete's sake, which has got to be a Fargo. Yeah, definitely. right like it's such a middle america kind of saying and then uh so clooney's end that we didn't mention is that because he (laughs) now thinks that people know he's guilty of murder he tries to escape to venezuela which would not work because the guy jk the guy's like he got flagged at the airport should we arrest him and jk simmons go Oh, Jesus, no. Are you kidding? Put him on the next fucking flight to Venezuela. <laughs> like, yeah. he just wants him to not be around anymore. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's other matters that deal with America Venezuela issues. Right. Uh, that it's just like, no, he needs amnesty. We can't start an actual th- situation right. where, like, if this gets news coverage, I don't want that. No, like, we have the ability. P- American citizens can go to Venezuela and it's fine. Right. And if we stop someone, well, they have no extradition. It's that they don't have extradition here. So if they let him go, he's gone forever. And he's like, I don't care, which is dark also. Or I find it sad because you're like, yes, the universe has no justice. (laughs) Clooney killed Chad. And they would rather let him go because it's more convenient. That is because it's more true to life. Yeah. And and they burn Jenkins body. It's made clear that no one will ever know any of this happened. That's the takeaway. It will end at this desk. Yes. And uh, I'm sorry, I misquoted even fully. There's one more line after, yes, sir, it's uh, it's hard to say. The last line of this screenplay you would have read on the page is actually J.K. Simmons. Jesus fucking Christ. Then the across the page would say, zoom out to space. (laughs) Zoom out to space from <laughs> yeah. Langley. Yeah. No, it's uh yeah, it's so that's the closed system. That's the everything pays off. And if it doesn't pay off, it's uh, immaterial. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the Coen Brothers movie right there. And as we shift into our second spectra pedagogy, I think that's a good place to start is sort of from the end backwards in the sense that the end is the darkest and sort of tips the card that, oh, this universe had no karmic system. I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie is no country for old men again. 
This was I, that pair yeah. of movies convinced me that the Coen brothers are now fascinated by nihilism and exploring nihilism. And I think people think of those two movies as very different, but I think they're just both about nihilism. One's a comedy and one's a drama. Yep. Uh, you're not going to get disagreement from this sure, side of the table. Sure. Yeah, I think that it's like, um, it's a phase that they had been flirting with for a long time. We understand the karmic uh, acknowledgement of, you know, nature as mm-hmm. being indifferent uh, throughout their films, even to ones that are have more like poetic satisfaction, like Hudsucker or, uh, you know, Raising yeah. Arizona, but it's always been there. This is where it's really just elucidating itself to this is the movie and using the system. It's the of only thought that matters politics and spy shit rather than the system of murderers and right, right. Uh, West Texas culture, which is just so helpful as like a, uh, a screenwriter. It's just so helpful to know that it's just like the line between like comedy and tragedy is so fucking nuanced and thin that it makes you go, why did they get an Academy Award for Fargo, but Mm -hmm. not this, you know, like, or why is no country held up and said, this is the best thing that they've ever made? Well, it's just all in the tone that they did it. It, the, it has Oscar bait tone all over. Yeah, it. No exactly. Does. That's yeah. what it comes down to: is the politics therein, as opposed to the work actually left on the table, yeah. which is burn after reading is uh, a masterpiece. Frankly, it's a ma- and, it's, and it's, I think yeah. I think it also has a theme that I don't pick up on in No Country as much, because No Country is more about like a merciless thing is coming for you and you're doomed because you stepped out of your lane whereas this also seems like it has the tragedy of lost potential a lot all the ingredients and that and that was in fargo so i that's why they do this a lot their movies remind me of combinations of four of their previous movies you know Mm -hmm. so like fargo and this uh ted is a good man but linda cannot see that or appreciate it Linda is good in her way, but Alan is totally checked out because he doesn't give a shit. Like, her own lack of self-esteem wouldn't let her consider Brad Pitt an option as a date, even though he's her best friend. Why aren't they going out? Uh, And he is positive. She says repeatedly to other people how much she likes him and his being with him and his vibe. Um, Clooney is engaged, of course, to a woman that he could be, anyone could be very happy with a partner like that, but he can't, he's not, um, you know, it reminded me of, have you read heart is lonely hunter Carson McCullers? No, I haven't read that. What was revolutionary about her? Why it's taught. If you take, you know, if you major in lit writing is like, it's like the, it's like jazz of book. Cause the real <laughs> story is in between the lines, like stream of consciousness or it's no, in the sense that it's about a bunch of, really deprived, sad, oppressed characters in like dirt farms in the South. But all the pieces are there for them to not be so miserable. Right. Uh, right. You know, There's six a clear char- answer. If you're dumb blind. and you read the book, you're dissatisfied. Cause you think it was a book about a bunch of people going about their business and they never really connected. And it was kind of mm-hmm. diffuse and nothing happened at the end. If you read between the lines, 
you're devastated the whole time because you're like, all this person needs to be happy is to say what they just said they thought in chapter two to this person in chapter yeah. four. But because society is structured this way, she can't say that to that person. And it's like, oh, the tragedy of how this life could be so much easier. It's like when you suddenly realize, and you know immediately as you're thinking it, it's naive and stupid, but like there wouldn't have to be war if everyone decided not to fight. Like if everyone individually somehow decided that right right now, there would never be a war again. The potential inherent in the fact that we have freedom of choice and that the universe is random, meaning anything could happen, and then the crashing down of, but it almost never does. Some random other shit happens. You know, I love. Yeah, that. it's a it's a crippling thought. It, it's <laughs> yeah. one that necessitates you sitting under a tree and just mm-hmm. like thinking for a bit. You know, yeah. What do you do with that information? What the fuck do we know? What if did we learn, Palmer? Yeah. And the reality of this movie it just says. There, it is a question. It doesn't give an answer. It just says, what the fuck? I think a bit of an answer is also your breadth of knowledge of what's actually going on is too limited. And the number yeah. of things you cannot control are too vast for yeah. you to actually impact that equation. That's right. always and how it will was, be, which is the nihilist standpoint. A, <laughs> a tacit a tacit acknowledgement of you don't know what you don't know that everything would be completely different. Yeah. Uh, there is a, I want to quote, uh, from coming up Daisy, which is the movie within the movie that Mm -hmm. they go to see that Linda says at one point, like I haven't seen this one, even though we clearly saw her watch it with Alan. So she can lie Uh, to a date too, which I thought was an interesting detail. Uh, Yeah. The the line and also um, Sandy uh, is the star of Coming Up Daisy. The guy who gives the line is also up after on like the Today Show mm-hmm. equivalent of Sandy reading to children. I just thought that that was a nice little like oh and the yeah, world Easter is like egg. yeah a little Easter egg. Uh, but the line is we've been over and over and over this. First you say you can't commit and then. Would you come down from there? And I think it's such a, I think it's a wonderful line because they, 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 it's a throwaway line. It doesn't matter. It's, it it might as well be like, did I do that? It's about calling attention to you think you're right, but you're not necessarily afforded that. Like you try to think you're right all the time, but would you Mm. just come down from there, from your high horse? I think that's, also, we've been over and over and over this. It's like there's an, an some form of analysis that is like kind of like the CIA agents where they're looking at it and going like, I can't glean any information from this. We've looked it over and over and over. What it, what did we learn from this? Fucked if I know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it reminds me very much of the No Country scene where the two sheriffs sit and talk in the diner and you slowly realize that even though you thought Tommy Lee Jones was the arbiter of all wisdom in this movie because he's an old sheriff and that's what you're used to he views the world through his lens and the other sheriff supports that view but other people view it differently and no one is actually right Yeah, they view the world however they want to view it and I thought that was so similar to when uh, Richard Jenkins has this great love for Linda and 
every time she tries to show him who she really is, he goes, you're changing, Linda. It's very sad. And it's like, no, she's not changing. She always sucked. Um, so you just no, saw this her also has woven into it. We see what we want to see. Yeah. yeah. And it's like both of them are sort of nihilist films where people see the world however they want. Linda Litsky assumes the Russians care about this shit she found because of some nefarious globalist conspiracy that she imagines is real because of movies she's seen. None of this is guaranteed to comport with what really happened. And we only, in fact, get brief moments, any individual character or person, where we understand even like one facet of one aspect of what the fuck is going on in the grand sense. And that's life. <laughs> and that's all you get. Right. It's so funny to me that the resonant line of the movie is what the fuck and this is also probably the longest Cohen brothers brothers episode we did like it's so no we still haven't hit up. our no country length but we're getting very close oh, okay but like my my point just being that it's like what a simple question what a simple thought and then how specifically and like well they mind that problem is what makes the Cohen brothers good at what they do like this is and all the I other know things no country we mentioned is great. that make I know them good at there's what they a lot do. of <laughs> like it's not this is not even my favorite Coen Brothers movie but it's just so fucking on point with every moment that I'm just like why isn't this a classic This is one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies It's definitely one of my favorites um, because it's so tight but uh yeah Yeah I won't I won't rub salt in people's ear wounds <laughs> I think it's more tightly crafted and better structure than the big Lebowski. And I don't know why I keep picking on the big Lebowski, but it's true. I think, I think it's just performance. Sure. Uh, cause I would say from a screen, cause I know how you think and you're, you're a screenwriter robot, uh, just like I am. But also I understand why the world wants big Lebowski to win that battle is because it comes from a place of, um, the charisma of the characters. Also, like if you, yeah. It's like it's why I didn't like Synecdoche in New York, and oh. you and Brooks really liked it. And now it's since because we've I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want my world to be infiltrated by these types of people. I just don't like these types of people. Uh, Big Lebowski has a lot more endearing characters than this movie, despite the fact that they both absolutely do have endearing characters. I mean, Brad Pitt, but I mean Walter, you know, like come on. <laughs> There's so many enjoyable sequences in Big Lebowski. Right, I that think I understand that why that it does that. I just think it's people are attracted to it because the characters are weirder. Yep, a lying yep. billionaire in a wheelchair, a naked right. woman swinging in from a void of black, a Vietnam vet who compares everything to dying face down in the mud. Uh, this is a person who works at a gym, another person who works at a gym, a guy who used to work for the CIA, but now he's trying to write a book. It's a more grounded film. Also, <laughs> Big Lebowski also had style, you know, like this wanted to not have style. Do, does that make sense to you? Like the um, burn after reading? Which is why, uh, why I use the phrase more tightly put together. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I think especially the... Um, especially the flying over the LA sequence because it uses dated green screen technology at this point. I wish the big Lebowski didn't have the dream sequences. I think it would be a better film. And that is a big thing to say on this show. 
That um, is huge. But it's true to me. I, I think, disagree. I think that's they funny. tip into self-indulgence in a way that I never laugh at them, and I don't gain extra meaning from them, really. Yeah, I, rem- I remember that uh, when we talked about it last. We were like, what do they mean? The Anything? Show. Are they just fucking You're like, what ditties? is the point of it? And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I tried to grasp at straws, but I had no answer. You're mm. absolutely right uh, in terms of the ledger. It is inefficient, uh, mm. but it is so amassed with style and like just pleasurable, like music, you know, like uh, shots, you know, Deacon's fucking killing it. Uh, yeah. Crazy, weird practical effects with like bowling pins and stuff like that. None of which are in Burn After Reading. There's no reason other like other than the fact that it's a spy film. Like, there's no reason to zoom out to space or zoom, zoom in from space. But or, that is the know. reason. The reason is there's no reason, which makes you retroactively realize all those spy movies you've ever seen are full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the right. point. So yeah. in that regard, you're right. It's smaller, humble, humbler, and tighter. Uh, burn after reading like is... Like my little butt. <laughs> like your little butt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but there's no reason to rank them necessarily, although I do think we should do no, that no, no, at no, the no. end of the but season. But I mean, just... They're different beasts, and I understand and acknowledge what you're saying. I disagree because Big Lebowski, also, I have the thing where I watched it at the perfect time in my life, you know? Sure. When it came out, I was ready for a film in a way that all other films before it, I was, like, not ready for films. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's in the same way that uh, when we watched Magnolia, I was just like, this is perfect for timing, mm-hmm. for Abe as a, you know, learning what uh, is going on. Yeah. And uh, Big Lebowski will forever hold that regard. Uh, so uh, I'm biased. Can we stop talking about the Big Lebowski now? <laughs> sure. We're two sure. hours of, I brought it up. That's fair. I thought it would just pass by i didn't i'm like don't need to get back into big lebowski that's another three hours um the uh i think it's important in this film that uh the or i mean to the reception of the film that the score predicts the emotional tones that haven't hit yet did you notice that meaning like it's a sullen score up until the midpoint the the film has not let the other foot fall. It's not tragic. It's a light farce. And yet, yeah. the score is already the kind of score that it will play Seeped when... Seeped in sadness. It yeah. sounds like Fargo score. It's, I, it's, it's yeah. a score that you would put Dostoevsky to, you know? Or an Aronofsky scene. Yeah, and I think that makes... People underestimate how much score's emotional tone really affects you and how hard it is oh, to absolutely. laugh when you're not in the right mood. So I actually think people get the impression that Burn After Reading isn't as funny as it actually is because the score is reminding them, don't laugh, though, be somber, dark shit is coming. And right. I appreciate that choice. I think it takes a lot of courage to know what your movie is, and it speaks to the thing you always love to say, which is life is still tragic when funny shit is happening. Like you said, Sonder... There's tragic shit happening over there. And when your life yeah. is tragic, someone's having a great time over there. Like right, right, everything yeah. is happening all the time. Remember <laughs> all those times that you were partying? People were dying. Someone was <laughs> starving to death or killing themselves. Yeah, at that, and it's at just every like, time. why would you bring that up, you piece of shit? Well, Statistically, I'm just saying a true fact. Especially Am I if, wrong? Am especially, I wrong? <laughs> especially if you agree with, if you believe that the universe is so vast, there must be other intelligent life out there. 
some sentient being right. is facing the unknown terror of being dead forever, eternally, every time you orgasm at that exact moment. Just, <laughs> right, please right. remember yeah. that. <laughs> the peak, yeah. That's also and happening. <laughs> make sure that that becomes your quirk. You know, yep. like you can't come without it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, that might be... Be, are we ready to wrap it out with uh, how do you do yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't know what else other than I wanted to say for how do you do that uh, is that um, this is uh, the separation of Roger Deakins and Boy, the Coen brothers. Not hurts. out of, not it hurts, but <laughs> guess who they fucking got though. <laughs> Abe Epperson, dude. Emmanuel Lubitsky of mm. Ter- Terrence Malick, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, and Inaratu fame. Yeah, uh, he's worked at Tim Burton, Michael Mann. Like he, he shot Birdman, Gravity, The Revenant. Yes. He, you know, like he's shot so much shit. And yet, I gotta say, in my mind, now yeah. he's made it because he's worked with the Coen Brothers. They're the Coen brothers are better than all the great people you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> also, <better. laughs> um, search his name. Everyone, here's a life hack. Search his name in Instagram. Uh, he, he goes by the name uh, Shivo, C-H-I-V-O, and I think it's Shivo underscore XP. He has the best Instagram uh, feed of all feeds because he Ooh. travels everywhere and takes photos of humans. And that's the only demarcator. Only of, humans? No landscapes I mean, he, or he, he, close-ups he, of I animals I mean, sometimes he has landscapes, but like the most visually accosting is like, oh, here's a Taiwanese woman who has super purple eyes. Mm-hmm. And like here is a super close-up of her face or something like that. Or here's an old man who's just like, uh, he's just fishing. <laughs> And you're just like, that's one of the best photos I've ever seen. You know, he's just, he's an absolute, like Roger Deakins forever will hold a place in my heart as the guy who got me interested in cinematography. But Emmanuel Lubitsky is also on another level, you know, like flamboyantly impressive. Yeah. (laughs) He's very impressive. He's like between the two of them, I, there it's, it's hard to say that there's like a third person in that, conversation maybe like a conrad hall or something like that but like right now alive they're the best two working cinematographers in my opinion mm-hmm. uh just what with what they do with the image is just absolutely astonishing it's it's fantastic yeah um but yeah yeah so that's the only thing i don't know why they separated i think it came down to uh roger deacon's uh, getting just so much other work from like Sam Mendes and obviously you worked on the James Bond pictures recently and stuff like that. Uh, so he, he's been doing a lot of stuff because I think the Coen brothers are slower than what he wants to work with because mm-hmm. a cinematographer can just kind of, you know, you don't have to make, you can make a film a year or two or three films a year. For the Coen brothers, they're like, every four years we put out a film, yeah. you know? And he's just like, all right, uh, I'm going to do work with these other guys too. And then when they're like, hey, ring, ring, Roger, you want to work on this? He's like, I already got things going. Mm. So I think it's not like a bad situation where they're like, we don't like each other. I think it's just, you know, scheduling conflicts or something. 
Uh, it says he was unavailable because he was already in the midst of shooting Revolutionary Road, and the Coens decided they didn't want to wait you. for that to wrap. Bad call, Deeks, Revolutionary Road. Mediocre. Well-crafted, but I would call it eh. Like eh. I other mean, than how beautiful. good it looks. Yeah, other than uh, how there's, good it There's looks. one shot in particular. Well, I don't. I mean, I'd say that the about The Revenant, too, road. but this isn't for this podcast. Yeah. yeah <laughs> shot beautifully. I will talk forever. What was it about? <laughs> Leonardo that. DiCaprio ate a fish out of a stream. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, great, okay. Great. Uh, I do want, I have some howdy do that, so I want to mention. Yeah. I think it's great that George Clooney basically considers having worked on three or four, however many at this point, four, I think, uh, Coen Brothers movies to be his directing school. Because if you don't know, George Clooney now fancies himself a director, has directed many films, uh, Good Night and Good Luck, Syriana. He's got that Catch-22. He created Catch-22, the re- the um, adaptation that's currently on Hulu. And Clooney basically, and I'm like, smart, what else would you do? That's what you should do. Tries yeah. to pretend he's the Coen Brothers when he directs and do what he remembers them doing. And I'm like, that's good. That's that's wise. Um, also, speaking, because you brought up Coming Up Daisy, the movie within the movie, mm-hmm. that poster... So, f- of course, there's always Easter eggs when there's a theater in a movie. Uh, Hail Caesar is playing at the theater, which right. won't come out for eight more years, but they had already knew they wanted to make it someday. And uh, according to the fake movie poster, Coming Up Daisy is based on a book by Cormac McCarthy, <laughs> which so would funny. make it so dark. Like, yeah. or, I love the idea that Cormac McCarthy completely sold out and wrote like a light <laughs> like, rom-com next yeah, after rom-com. No Country. Yeah, and then like a- uh, Coming Up Daisy was directed by Sam Raimi, so it probably looked good too, even though it was boring. <laughs> yeah, like like a romance comedy that we all realize that all of us are monsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what McCarthy would write. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, another howdy do that that I got was uh, Richard Jenkins said the Coen Brothers asked him if he could lose weight for the role because he's mm-hmm. a gym manager. Yeah. To which Jenkins. Uh, said I'm a 60 year old man not Brad Pitt my body isn't going to change <laughs> it is it is what it is man yeah. Um, and yeah and they said specifically about the score that they want it to de- be bombastic and sound fraught with meaning like something really important is happening and it's an <laughs> intentional strategy to layer it specifically under scenes where something important is not happening and I do understand that gives it a weird unsettling tone where you don't understand exactly how you're supposed to feel but I think it's so telling that, and this is the quote now they said they wanted a score that represented meaning without meaning and I'm like, well, that's the key to understanding the movie. That's You're cool. Right. That's cool that that's, that that's what they said. Um, yeah. Yes, confirmation that Francis McDormand improvised the phrase for Pete's sake as a reference to Fargo, um, which she says while interviewing Jerry Lundegaard. Mm-hmm. Um, when Brad Pitt's character... Yeah, yeah, all right, cool. So we were right about the Easter eggs. <laughs> Brad Pitt helped decide on the name Mr. Black as a reference to Meet Joe Black. Um, the film coming up Daisy was titled tell me that again in the script, but the designer who created the poster pitched the new title and they changed it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm out of interesting ones so we can wrap it Did up. Did you know that Clooney and Swinton have shade on each other? 
And they a, had a baby, and his name was Clinton, and he became the president. Clooney and Swinton were in a had a poor relationship. Uh, there was a movie called Michael Clayton. Uh, yes, that which they, they were, were in together. together. I know that. And uh, Clooney said at the end of the shoot, "Quote: may, Well, maybe one day we'll get to make a film together where we say one nice thing to each other." And Swinton said of the dynamic. Quote, I'm very happy to shout at him on screen. It's great fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, I, I don't think they like each other, which is kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Looney also fist fought with David O. Russell on Three Kings, as we talked about on Frame Rate, mm. and yeah. hit uh, a fellow actor in the head with an apple thrown at high velocity. So I'm starting to wonder if Clooney is difficult to be around, despite how charming he seems. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, every one of those stories definitely... I, I don't know. Every always, one of those stories definitely have, like, I could see why. And, yeah. like, I definitely think... I definitely think David O. Russell is a piece of shit. So I'm like... So I, I'm like, I'm yeah. kind of endearing. Right. But it's true. The, he's worked with a lot of people, and some people have, you know, not liked him. So it is what it is. I'm, And yet he's... I do. I also respect him as an actor and as a director. He's mid-shelf. He's fine. <laughs> so, he's, yeah. He's at his best when, he, when he's with I'd the like Cone I'd like to think he's but... not a huge prick, but yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. That's that. That's Mattress that, Mattress Man. Man. Yeah. Reference to an on Coen Brothers movie. Great. Great way to end. <laughs>